What's going on, guys? My name is El De Niro. Welcome to episode 129 of the Midnight Hour. I hope it might be episode 130. I'm not too sure. The numbers are fake anyways. Uh, I'm joined today by a recurring guest, uh, Dr. John. How's it going, sir? It's going well, thanks. How's it going for you? Ah, it's weird, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's always, always stuck between could be better, could be worse. This is great. This is terrible. It's the worst thing ever. It's actually great. So it's, mm. I find it really hard to figure out like what I actually think in real time. But. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly like the biggest change to everyday life that we've ever encountered. Like that's for sure. And probably that our, like the next generation we'll ever encounter will be kind of us talking about it and storytelling about it. And they probably won't believe it. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever be possible to accurately portray just how strange it was um, mm. and how like uncomfortable staying in for so long made so many people. Mm. Um, I, I've, I don't really even understand that myself because I actually have been training for this my whole life. Um, as You're a, world class. <laughs> well, like I'm a fair, like I'm not like one of those people who reads a sad thing on the internet and goes, I'm an introvert. I'm an actual introvert who yeah. like, if I spend too much time outside, I get whatever anti cabin fever is and I have to come back to my house. So like this to me yeah. is like, I, my biggest concern is when everything is back to normal, how yeah. am I going to get on the bus to go to work? The anxiety is going to absolutely kill me. So yeah. I, I wonder what the instance of agoraphobia after a forced lockdown will be. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's even going to be measurable, though, because if there is like a valid case of it, so many people will be like, oh, just cop on to yourself. Or, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's not going to be I don't know. I don't know how easy it is to clinically diagnose something like that. And then yeah, yeah, yeah. describe it to lockdown. But yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting anyway. Like, I, I think the change from this to normality will be like steps and grades and like it'll be a slow process. But yeah, it'll, it'll be weird. It'll probably yeah. almost be as weird as the way it is now because they'll enforce things and not enforce other things that you almost take as a given. Yeah, yeah. I wonder about the long-term um, uh, strategy for working from home because I know a lot of businesses in the finance sector have had um, this BCP measures. It's uh, What does BCP stand for? Um, business conservation. Uh, I, I can't remember what it is, but um, it's basically your ability to relocate in the event of like an office fire or like a you know a global pandemic as it were um, mm. and a lot of businesses only have partial bcp whereas now they have just in the space of a few weeks streamlined into full bcp mm. which just goes to show that it was possible for us to work from home the whole time because we're all doing it now yeah and, um it's i really working. think it'll start to be a, a possibility that more businesses mm. encourage people to work from home to reduce their overheads and reduce the likelihood that they'll get like work related like sicknesses yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, and if productivity is roughly the same, which will be measurable over this time, all things considered, like it could be a game changer in that respect. I don't know if like, because I work in finance, all the companies in finance that I've ever worked for all have these kind of, um, I, I don't know if I'm using this word right, but braggadocious large buildings that are like huge client facing open yeah, foyers yeah, yeah. so that when you have a, a major investor or a, a group coming in, or representatives from like a, a financial institution you're like look at our huge mm. walls that we have and you know um and every company that i've worked for has that 
and I don't know if the financial world is ready to lose those because it's still a very old fashioned type of business. Well, certainly, I think there'll be a cohort of uh, workers that'll need to stay indoors and that sort of, or, or, sorry, in like original offices. But like, I think for a lot of day-to-day tasks that don't involve customer work or interaction, then it'll almost be a no-brainer to just keep them doing what they were doing. Yeah. But yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'm definitely going to try and be like, yeah, I've got an Amazon delivery coming. I need to work from home today. Just <laughs> see how that goes. Yeah, but, um, exactly. Anyways, today our topic is related to the lockdown um, and specifically how you can feel less uh, claustrophobic and less trapped by the lockdown and to just show you some avenues of entertainment through which you can escape for a little while into uh, an amazing movie or an amazing album or um, do that weird thing that humans do where they feel sad so they listen to sad music and then counterintuitively, they feel less sad. So um, I think that there are lots of albums that I know of that are about sort of social isolation and um, maybe not by choice, but so a certain form of social distancing. And sometimes when you are feeling really lonely and you listen to them, it feels like it's your friend rather than something that's just amplifying this terrible feeling that you're feeling. You know what I mean? Completely, mm-hmm. yeah. I, as, yeah, I don't know why, because I definitely would say on aggregate, the music I listen to, like some people would certainly say, oh, it's depressing, very downbeat, mm. very dark and that sort of thing. I wonder, though, is the experience of that particular emotion or vibe or feeling different for those two people, as opposed to one person just being into dark music and one person not? Is it actually dark to the person listening to it as much as it's dark to the other? Do you know what I mean? I really worry about, like, I genuinely worry about the mental stability of people who say stuff to me, like, Mm. how can you listen to Radiohead? It's so depressing. Like, Mm. sorry, if your mental state is so fragile that to just listen to the opening notes of Street Spirit sends you into, like, a spiraling depression, like, I I encourage you to seek help. It's not like, you know, like, and I I don't know, it's it's not like I'm just going to listen to this album and like, oh, oh my God, I'm actually really sad now, it turns out. The world is terrible. Yeah, yeah. Why did I listen to that? (laughs) Yeah, why did I do that to myself? Um, No, it really doesn't work that way to me at all. It's more like if you're feeling a certain type of sad and then you listen to a really sad song, you're like, God, like now I'm in this together. There's a a universality to it. Yeah, completely. Some togetherness and it's... uh, I don't know. It's something that really like always makes me feel better. Pretty much. There's not many things that a good song can't fix. That's not true at all, but it's generally true. You know what I mean? But like even the saying like misery loves company and the fact that there's a sense of camaraderie, even through sort of the medium of like music. And then as well as that though, I think maybe one of the most important things is, is that listening to a song that's downbeat while you're upset shows you that life goes on. Um, like th- this song was written by someone at a particular time, but the fact that it's sort of out there and objectified and externalized means that they kind of got through it in their own way. They were able to isolate it and move past it. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. Um, it's, it's one thing I always notice about Steve's songs um, is that he's generally, I don't, I don't want to like say he has a formula, but like if ever he writes a song that's particularly sad, he seems to always have this like, we all feel like this sort of feel to it, if you know what I mean. And um, I've asked him about that before. And he says that the reason that he does that is because it makes 
people feel better and mm. sort of that sort of feel to it. So like, mm. it, I don't know, it's kind of interesting to get an actual songwriter's perspective on it. And yeah. Yeah. That's like, yeah. Like people, people feel they belong to the group then if those listening to it, like mm. even that though, like the fact that depression and isolationism are so hand in hand, I wonder then is the fact that you're listening or taking part in an experience formed by a band aimed towards a particular group, make you feel better because you know other people are enjoying it for the exact same reason and then you sort of feel like you belong. I think there's, so there must be something like that to it because if you think about the amount of bands with large teenage followings who, um, like it's basically their life goal mm. is to get this band trending on Twitter, get this band have the most plays on Spotify that month. Mm. Like there's something in that where they're all connected around this one thing and it's like, I don't know, there's a there's a k-pop band i think they're called bts or something like that okay yeah. and um on on last fm which is this website that tracks your music uh listening um there's the two most popular the two most listened to albums of all time on that are hybrid theory by lincoln park and toxicity by system of a down right wow. because, which, which makes sense if you think about it because people who are interested in alternative music just found their way onto the internet in the exact years that those albums were coming out and i think like I don't, did you own those albums? You were probably too cool for them. No, I definitely owned Hybrid Theory. I fucking loved it. In fact, mm. the first time I ever played Quasar was with Steve and Crawling was playing. Nice. And I was like, I couldn't remember the words. And I, all I remember is like the strobe lights, the smoke of Quasar, Quasar, and just the melody. And I was just like, holy shit, like that is such a good melody. And I was just mm. like going round around my head for days after until I finally heard it again. I didn't know it was Linkin Park. I didn't know what like yeah. anything but like so many of those songs were so formative of not only kind of the music I was into but of the generation in a way like kind of they sort of paved the way for that whole sort of oh I wear black I love dark music blah blah yeah. blah like people yeah. people were pulled together yeah, yeah absolutely um so the these k-pop fans are trying to get bts to overtake those albums and so there's a war happening on last fm where linkin park fans are listening to hybrid theory every single day to boost wow. the stats of it and the BTS Brilliant. fans are doing the same thing. Yeah, it's awesome. It is <laughs> but like, awesome. What value does it have to society? I don't know. I know. It's, it's fun though. Um, but there's probably a negative value to the K-pop bands overtaking them. I don't really know. Like I'm pretty much uh, like almost basically a new metal apologist and I absolutely love Linkin Park and I feel like I always will. And there's never going to be a sense of I've grown out of them. I will never grow out of them. Um, and I still, I don't give a fuck if some Korean band overtakes them. Like, it makes no difference to me. I know, like, in general, yeah. right, if, if someone were to observe, if, like, aliens were to come visit us in, like, 100 years and have a look back, like, what, what was the contemporary music, what was the most popular band mm. at this time? Oh, Linkin Park were overtaken by this Korean band. Like, maybe that's not accurate mm. or, like, indicative of, of, but, like, do I care? I don't know. Does it really matter? It's, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, no, I see what you mean. And I've no idea kind of what the, the quality of the music is and that sort of thing. But it almost seems like it's a victory by numbers with mm. those sorts of bands and that there's just so many people listening to them. Um, yeah, and it's sort of a, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's sort of quality perhaps is overtaken due to quantity. Yeah, it's like, it's like a cosmetic endeavor that's really just yeah, a matter of having yeah. a name on a page just so you can have some weird bragging rights in, in an yeah. arena that doesn't really have any consequence. And wasn't there that Indian boy band who bested PewDiePie's the top YouTube spot as well? I'm not sure. I know there was like an Indian... Um, 
I'm pretty sure. Because like that was his whole sort of um, endeavor. Like, was it six months plus ago to like stay number one on YouTube? And then he was finally overtaken. That was by a whole Indian studio producing kids songs, wasn't it? It was like a fella who had um, the people who who owned the company. They had like an office block full of employees just coming up with sketches and and okay. visual edits and everything. It was, it was like a whole like this thing. It employed about a hundred people in total. This channel did. Um, okay, I thought that's what PewDiePie was up against for number one. Okay, maybe I, I thought it was like a, a band, but maybe you're right. I, so. It was definitely a channel that was producing musical content, but it definitely mm-hmm. wasn't boy band. It was more like um, okay. It was more like nursery rhymes and ah, uh, like Baby Shark. Yes, uh, like stuff of that ilk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, awesome. So yeah, <laughs> and that's what we're going to not be talking <laughs> about today. Um, yeah. So I have like a list of. Um, I've kind of done two things. I have like a list of albums that I think can um help to teleport you mentally away from the isolation and then i have a couple of things that i've been watching and tuning into to help me get out of it and then i just have some concerts that are available on youtube to watch that would be um if you have a couple of beers on a friday night and you can't leave the house like just put in your earphones and and watch these concerts you'll feel like you're there um they're like high quality, good sound quality, all of that stuff. Um, I have uh, a, a few movies written down and also an audiobook for anyone who, like me, is a slave to audible.com and you can't cancel your subscription because if you do, you'll lose all your credits, but you have a buildup of credits and nothing to spend them on because you haven't listened to the book. Why would you lose your credits? It's their system. It's dystopian and... and uh, Sort of like the place we're in now. Yeah. Well, like, hold on. If I check my Audible account, right, it's actually, it's fucking ridiculous the way they do this. That's insane. I have, how many credits do I have? Um, If I go to the store, yeah, open the store, please. Uh, It's not laudable. I have three credits. Yeah, no, it is not. I have three credits, right? And that means that I get three books. And like, it can be any, like, um, really like the books that are out now that are like 30 euros to buy mm. i can get just get them with one of these credits that costs me 10.99 a month or whatever it is mm. but if i cancel that subscription i lose my active credits and so but I'm what like, if you use the credits before you cancel yeah i can do that but i have yeah. nothing to use them on <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm basically waiting for like five books to come out in the same month and then coincidentally i want to listen to them all and uh, that's interesting. I'm like, sure there's some classics or some old books that you really want to read. Well, like if you, to. what I have here is like, I've got a HG well, 28 hours of HG Wells classics, right? Mm. Um, I've got the machine stops, you know, the, just that classic story. Mm. Um, I've got um, a Harlan Ellison, 14 and a half hours of Harlan Ellison uh, short stories. I've got into the raging sea. I've got Bruce Springsteen's born to run, which is narrated by Bruce Springsteen. I've got every John Ronson book. I've got every Sam Harris book. I have the, I have the Gulag archipelago here, which is 27 hours long. Um, I've like, I've loads of books here. Um, and I, is that where the foreword is narrated by Jordan Peterson, the Gulag archipelago? I think this one, this version that I have here, uh, predates him. 
Interesting, they wouldn't have updated it because it's um, all digital. They have the updated one as well, oh, but okay. I think that I got this one like before Jordan Peterson was even a thing. Um, and I still haven't listened to it. He was a little it. sperm. He was, <laughs> yeah, yes. And the egg. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, that's 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 where we're at. So that's what Audible Hell is. I'm guessing you're not familiar with it. So No, I'm all paperwhite. Actually, I've upgraded to the Kindle Oasis now. Oh, it was really sad, actually. So um, I had a paperwhite and it worked really well. And then one day it went missing and I searched high and low all over the apartment for it, like everywhere. So then I was like, flip it, okay. Maybe I left it in an airport in one of those little uh, like deposit boxes that go through security. Mm. And I bought like the Kindle Oasis, which was pretty expensive, I think, at the time. And then subsequently, like I've been in one of my drawers. And apparently, when the Kindle Paperwhite is face down, it's indistinguishable from the rest of the color of my drawer. So I've got oh, two Kindles mm, now. Uh, I know. That's bad. Um, it is bad. But at least, um, <laughs> at least I, like having it's better than not having it in all fairness. But yeah, yeah I agree with that. Um, but it's a pity I spent so much money on a new one when I didn't need it. I like that it has Oasis in the name and that is the only piece of commentary I have to, <laughs> to add. <laughs> it's class. It's really good. Um, the screen's bigger, better kind of uh, visual display. It has kind of a cool handle on the side that I think is just for the battery, but it makes it easier to hold. Like, yeah, there's a million things I love about it. How do you allocate the time to read? Um, so yeah, if I have nothing to do, I will be like, okay, I should probably read. Or like every day, I was telling you before we started up, I uh, get into work early and I tend to hmm. read whatever book I'm reading, have a coffee and just chill for an hour before work. Um, for the listeners, John is obviously essential staff and works in a hospital, so there is no lockdown period for him. Yeah. Um, and I'm not asking him how it is to work in a hospital because I, it's nobody wants to hear that discussion and you can hear it played out in the news every single exactly. day. And we're here, <clears throat> we're here for the express purpose of taking you away from the lockdown. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to talk about how it's going. Um, so, uh, and, uh, I, I would hate to go on a podcast in my spare time and talk about my work, <laughs> <laughs> although I would help some people to, uh, understand what it is that I do for work. Cause nobody fucking knows what my job is. And it's really, ah, but sure you don't even know. So <laughs> it's, I, we, we have these family quizzes going on zoom and, uh, next week I have to come up with the questions and I'm thinking, for one of them, I should just, what's my job title? And I bet nobody would get it. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, God. So, yeah. Um, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Or um, I, I have I have a couple of things that are sort of, um, that are not like a listicle thing. But I, I think, so there's one thing in particular that I think you would uh, like to hear about, I suppose. Um, and it's this YouTube channel called Bald and Bankrupt. Have you ever heard of it? No. PewDiePie's favorite YouTube channel. Nice. Um, it's a man from England. I think he's in his mid forties or something. And he's basically, he travels around the world and he has like a, a camera on like, it's got like a stick and then the camera comes out here and he just mm. brings it everywhere like this. And he vlogs the whole thing. And he's, um, he's, he, he's a very good sort of presenter. He's got that sort of charming British, Mm. outgoing uh, personality he, he's very well read and mm. um, he is particularly interested in the Soviet Union and the history of the Soviet Union mm -hmm. so um, he's been to lots of places like uh, some of his most recent series are from 
he went traveling around Africa. He went to Bolivia. He went to Cuba. But the my favorite ones are the ones that take place in the old uh, Soviet Union, where he's been to like you know like all of the, like Armenia and um, Chechnya and fucking. Uh, I have a map of the world over there. I can't remember all the countries he's been to. He's been to like Ukraine, like all all the all the countries yeah, that comprise yeah. the old Soviet Union, and. Um, like my favorite thing about him is that he avoids the beaten path. Like okay. he's not going to the the same stuff that we've all seen, but he goes to like the sort of lesser known areas of these regions, or um, he goes to the places that are explicitly described as the most dangerous town in Russia. Mm. And he'll go there and he just goes up and talks to people. He's fluent in Russian mm. um, and he just, he'll talk to people and they talk back and they're always really nice um like just from watching his channel the impression that i have of the people in like so my impression of people from russia before i watched this channel uh was generally that they either do daredevil shit like they jump off buildings they drive their car mm. down the wrong side of the road they take their t-shirt off and fight people at football matches mm. stuff like that right um and i think russia has a, a reputation as being a particularly hostile nation from watching this guy's video, the side of Russia that I'm seeing is just really nice people who are just naturally sound and they're warm and welcoming and they're like excited to see visitors. Ooh, and, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so he, he'll do stuff like that. Um, and then the other thing that he does is like, he just, he just hitchhikes to these random places and like, he'll have no plan. Like he'll just end up at a hotel somewhere. Mm. Um, he'll spend nights on, on trains and show you what it's like just to get the plat like, get the the night train to siberia like all of these types of things mm. um and then the other thing he does is that like he goes to um the fallen republics of the soviet union that have had no uh, capital since the fall of the soviet union they're kind of like forgotten about towns mm. and so they still have like so many soviet remnants uh, in their town square and stuff like that that they just never got rid of like the hammer and sickle is at the the town hall because yeah. they haven't had any financial investment since then or they've had like so in ukraine they obviously uh when they got rid of the soviet uh, controls um when they became a republic or whatever it is they um they subsequently had enough financial investment to tear down the, the Soviet statues that existed. And, and like now they are their own thing independent of the, the Soviet Union. But there are certain republics like um, as you go closer to Asia um, and stuff like that, where they still have the hammer and sickle in the town square because they just had no financial investment. Mm -hmm. And these are like really, really poor areas. But this guy will go there. He'll try the local food, which, by the way, always looks fucking terrible. I'm a really, really fussy eater, but it seems like the food in Eastern Europe is the absolute fucking worst food that exists in the world. That's based purely on a, a visual perspective for me, a man who only eats Chinese food and pizza. But, um, yeah, it's just the channel's so interesting. Like, seeing his interactions with random strangers and yeah. just seeing him walk along a dirt trail road in Moldova yeah. And just putting his hand out and a car pulling up and him getting in and talking away to the person next to him, like yeah. laughing. And like, it's just, um, it really is a trip to watch. And Interesting. You really feel like you're there. You get every single element of what it is to be there because yeah. he has absolutely no anxiety whatsoever. He's That's like so full on, will talk to himself while he's on a train. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like somehow manages to do all of this while not being overly obnoxious. Yeah. Like sometimes yeah. he makes me cringe, but not in like a 
I still think he's a good guy kind of way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd never get under my skin or anything. Um, Interesting. Yeah, but I, I think it's just, I don't know. He, he has enough historical knowledge, right, that he'll go to like a random, he's been to Chernobyl and all that stuff, but he'll yeah. go to like some random former Boy Scout area in the hills of Armenia and he'll be like, this this uh, this Soviet thing here was used by the Soviet Union to teach this and this. And this. Like, he knows mm. what everything is because he's mm. already well-read on the subject. So it's like you're experiencing his excitement for actually seeing the thing. And then you're also, mm. you also have your own like, whoa, no way. They did all of that. Like, yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I'd say like being able to speak the language fluently is such a help. Yeah, definitely. Like being able to communicate with the people like properly who you're kind of interviewing or speaking with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's um and he's just very confident too. Like he seems like it seems like he has lived in Russia all his life. Like that's what it feels like. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely that channel, Bald and Bankrupt is what it's called. It is mil- millions of subscribers. Every video has millions of views. And uh he's currently trapped in some country or other because of the lockdown and oh, flip, um, yeah. I haven't got to he just uploaded a video yesterday that I haven't got to watch yet, but um yeah just i would definitely recommend i've had it like during when i'm working at home on this screen i'm working and then on this screen here i just have his videos playing on a loop and there's so many of them cool yeah yeah so is he like actively seeking to get home or is he happy enough staying put there i'm not sure because the way that youtube works on the playstation is that it just fucking plays whatever it feels like so there's yeah. no sense in the way that i'm watching them there's absolutely no order whatsoever even if you actually go on youtube right on the playstation go to the channel click playlists click play mm. first video it still doesn't continue the fucking playlist so, so obnoxious yeah that's yeah. oh, horrible but um yeah, so I'm a bit all over the place with them, but I still just have them on. It kind of How feels... is he moving around through all this lockdown? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's I think he's only done about four videos since the lockdown started. Cool, cool. He had one where like he was trying to go from Armenia to Georgia and he got onto the plane and then the this like military colonel came onto the plane and was like, Right, this plane is not happening, the Georgian border is closed. He's all have to get off. So then he booked another flight to Moscow for 2 a.m. And before the flight, he went into the um, the capital of Armenia and drove around with a taxi driver and just saw the sights and stuff like that. And you get to see it all as it's happening. Like yeah. it's very, it, it very much takes you out of your reality, you know, and it puts you in there. Yeah, like really immersive. Yeah, um, it's really immersive. Yeah, yeah. Be- because of his, because of basically the camera, like he's limited to this one digital camera, but you yeah. just see stuff like he'll be at a restaurant, the camera will be here pointed at him, and behind him, there's like the waiter, there's like mm. people coming in, there's people looking at him. It's just. It's like a fly on the wall experience almost. Fully, fully. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah. That's brilliant. Excellent. Yeah. Just thinking of that, like the Russian kind of ex-block countries and stuff when you're talking about Georgia and Ukraine and you know that song by the Beatles back in the USSR and just like the play on words it's just so fucking brilliant he references that song a lot it's so good mm. like Paul McCartney was so good with simple world wordplay in his songs like even something like here there everywhere and and like that song and, and just so many others he just always had an in a very interesting way of perceiving simple things and elaborating on them and turning them into something beautiful and john lennon would kind of be a bit more outside the box a bit more avant-garde a bit more outre and the way his approach but like that song is just so good like you know what i mean yeah yeah i I wonder what they actually think of it over there because it's a bit tongue-in-cheek as well obviously yeah it's a fun song it's it's it is and the guitar is brilliant on it as well yeah 
So, is that the opener to the White Album? I think it, is, it is. Yeah, yeah. 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 Such a good song. <laughs> it was such a weird album because, well, it's two discs and there's no such yeah. thing as a good double album, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's something anyway. Um, yeah. Oh, wait, what's yeah. that? I can hear uh, London calling. <laughs> You're right, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think I've said it on my podcast many times, but that is the best double album. Do you not think White Album would pip it? No, because there's too much experimental nonsense on the yeah. album. And even no, though there isn't even too much, there's probably like three or four songs. But yeah, I agree. I know, but like one... Wild Honey Pie drives me insane every time it comes on. Revolution Nine is just like eight minutes of nonsense. I I can listen to that though and sort of I can sub- too submerge I, in it. Yeah, I can too, but I don't think it's objectively good. Like I I think yeah, that I like yeah. it, but I only like it because I'm forcing myself to like it. Or you, you don't even know why you like it, or you like it because it's weird, like kind of mm-hmm. the bad reasons to like something. Yeah, yeah. I don't think yeah. I like it because it's good is basically like the way that I come away. But from like it. if you took out all the good songs off and say at least three quarters of the double album would be, you'd be left with a fucking You'd be left with one of their album. best albums. Absolutely. Yeah, Possibly yeah. my favorite album of theirs. Yeah. I always album. vacillate back and forth between Abbey Road and the White Album. It's a tough one for me. I'm with, I'm, for me, it's Abbey Road and Rubber Soul. Um, Interesting, like Ab- Abbey Revolver. Abbey Road wins because I think it is their best. It just, mm. from Carry That Way onwards, the way mm. all of those tracks merge. But That's then incredible. it also has, uh, what's the... That, Her Majesty? No, Silverton's that Maxwell's Silver Hammer. Silver Hammer, yeah, that, that's yeah, yeah. bad. Like, I know, but like, and, and that's McCartney at his worst. It's so funny. Like, you can you can like listen to the words of a song even if you didn't know who was singing it and know whose song it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's it's really weird. But that's funny that you would pick Rubber Soul because for I me, love... it's it's a complete album. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's yeah, just yeah. it's it's like here's what is it? it's only like ten tracks or eleven tracks. But would, but but would Revolver not be more complete or as complete, but more? Yeah, I like Revolver yeah. a lot, especially because it ends with Tomorrow Never Knows. And yeah. I just think that Indian influence that comes in there, the, the psychedelia is Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the drums, the drums of Tomorrow Never Knows are so good. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, I, I actually love, I think my favorite Beatle is George Harrison. <laughs> I know. I was actually going to say, when you were talking about like Abbey Road from the end onwards, his like guitar arrangements tie that second half of the album together so well. Yeah, like he, he's so underrated. Yeah, I he to me he's like the most interesting sounding thing about. Yeah, the, like yeah. I think all, all their songs generally, like well, they're all of their lead singles and main songs, of which there are about forty or fifty, you could say. Yeah, um, they're all very solid. Um, yeah. and they're like great, but the ones with Harrison are sort of just that extra like kick, that sort of yeah, yeah. That's there's always like an otherworldly quality that I look for in music that I, I am not really ever able to express, but it's that like dream pop shoegaze psychedelia sort of crossover. Yeah, yeah. And George Harrison just has that in spades, like everything that he does. He had such a good ear for melodies, like kind of the melodies mm. he comes up with are so different to McCartney's and Lennon's, like yeah. something. And, and yeah, like just, it's just really, really interesting. Yeah. Here comes the sun. That's him, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Like that's yes, it's amazing. Beautiful. Like just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if he'd just written the guitar as opposed to everything else. But actually, that's reminded me. Uh, there was a really, really good audio I was listening to there of them actually creating. Uh, what should we call it? Something. 
the song oh, something and like John Lennon's like interrupting be like no 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 like don't stop the song like just fill in the words with whatever you want like he says like it could be broccoli it could be whatever like just mm. keep singing and we'll, we'll get the song down then you can worry about the words and this happens like three or four times but like Harrison is actually writing something while they're doing it no way it's incredible like yeah that's I think um I think my favorite thing about the national is mm. the same thing that I love about Harrison it's just something other world. Like I just think about the the song Lemon World. Yeah. It sounds yeah. to me like it almost like a George. It's obviously dark and more yeah, distorted, yeah. but it's the lyrics seem very yeah. Harrison-esque to me. I, I think like the song like Pink Rabbits, if you compare that to the likes of Savoy Truffle, which was one of Harrison's weird ones off the White Album too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I love like it's so funny. I don't think I've ever heard a piano piece that sounds as floppy and bunny-like as Pink Rabbits. It sort of just bounces around like it's in a field. Yeah, and yet it's an incredibly sad. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember I was um, actually in Eastern Europe of all places with a couple of friends, and I tried my first Pink Rabbit over there. It's you thought that it was all right. Didn't you? Yeah, it was like it was fine. Like cause the two ingredients are fine. Because when I actually saw him in Dublin, he was playing in, I think it was the three arena at that point and not the O2. Maybe it was still the O2. But he basically said, yeah, it's just like strawberry and vodka. So like, that's what I asked for. It was all mm. right. Like, yeah, you can't go too wrong with those two flavors. You're a man who's able to drink those kinds of drinks, though. Whereas you mean, I'm, <laughs> you're a man who's able to drink those. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I seem to recall you're uh, not shy of trying a cocktail or two like definitely not no fuck um, i love them i spirits are my enemy so i, I can't no, I, I, but, but i like them neat too i drink kind of spirits in all forms mm. yeah i've actually I, taken a step back from beer lately i'm kind of drinking way more wine yeah i can see that yeah, the, I, yeah. I, I was very tempted to make that pivot but i didn't because i didn't want to be the guy coming back from the supermarket with six bottles of wine and then coming back four days later for more yeah exactly that is what I. it was a big house party (laughs) (laughs) that's what would happen to me so um yeah well (laughs) we went so far off topic it's a quit your whining i don't yeah i know i don't even care it's this this is just a a conversation to help people that's what i do i'm here (laughs) to save people from the lockdown yeah you're a paragon of morality and safety I've always said that about myself, and it's really good to hear it said back to me. By, yeah, by, yeah, yeah. by I'm not reading it off a card at all. <laughs> at gunpoint, with all my advisors. Yeah. Oh, that episode of The Simpsons is so good when Skinner is like in the dark kind of corner of the entrance to the building, and then like the mafia is beside him. Yeah. They just. <laughs> And his hand is broken. What happened to your hand? And then you just see the laser of gunpoint at the side of his hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. What a show. That's actually available on the Disney Plus thing, right? You can just watch all every Simpsons episode. That's funny because Disney Plus is actually one of my topics to talk about on this podcast. Oh, nice. Why don't we just go straight into that then? Cool. Yeah. So I was, I, so essentially to sort of talk about stuff that's amazing um, escapism that is generally upbeat, generally happy ending, uh, amazing music associated with it, soundtracks, uh, amazing selection, like literally something for everyone, the conglomerate of Disney <clears throat> and the new advent of Disney Plus is like a force to be reckoned with. Like, it's incredible. Like, you can totally imagine how, like, if someone had to choose between the likes of Sky or Disney Plus, like, you could go with fucking Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, at the moment, a lot of the Disney Plus stuff is still on Sky because they haven't okay. 
obviously they still have contracts that have to be played out yeah they're they're like years long they're they're gonna be like bit by bit things are gonna start coming off netflix but there's not gonna be a purge of disney content it's just that over time the quality per item on disney plus is ridiculous yeah, and, and like they have so much from the back catalog too that you would never have thought to watch. Even stuff that you might not necessarily want to watch, but like there's like movies about like talking dogs and you know, like live yeah. action talking dogs, like from the real dark years of Disney and stuff. Yeah, like or that. even the stuff that just went straight to like VHS mm. like back in the nineties or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and then like on top of that you've got their they're basically producing new content for it like uh, the mandalorian i know you're not a big star wars guy i think you'd enjoy the mandalorian though actually yeah one of my other friends really likes it it's um it's it's similar enough to the That's baby yoda isn't it baby yoda yeah there backwards on a pig <laughs> <laughs> um, that reminds me of derek actually i love fucking derek derek is the ricky gervais thing. yeah yeah very um, good i just hate him and his smug face interesting <laughs> really but like, but like smug, I, I don't know if I, I think sort of when he plays up to it, he can appear smug, but then I think for the most part, he just seems earnest and genuine. He's, so he searches his name on Twitter, right? And mm. anyone who has insulted him without putting his at symbol in, he'll reply to them and be like, were you too afraid to at me? But then he also has an entire set based on triggering people. And then when they get triggered saying, are you offended? Have I offended you? And then he has a whole extra thing of like, I don't care if you're offended, but like you do care if we're offended because your whole image is based on you not caring about other people being offended. Like you have to, (laughs) at some point, just like pull your head out of your rectum and say like, all right, I'm doing this to offend them because that gives me some kind of joy. But then, like, yeah, like, I, if, if I were to just slap you in the face constantly and then be like, does your face hurt? I don't care if it hurts. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I, I'm between two minds on that. Like, I actually heard him talk about that very recently. I'm not sure if it was an old interview or a new one. I'm trying to remember it now. But basically, the analogy he came up with was, imagine you're in a town and you see, like, this sign on a signpost and you go up to it and it's like, what the, what's that doing there? I'm so annoyed. Like, I, I'm so angry that that's there. That should be there. I, I completely disagree with that or whatever. And he's like, well, why don't you just walk on? Like, that sign clearly wasn't meant for you if you're the one annoyed by it. Right. I, so, like, I've, I think I philosophically agree with Ricky Gervais on everything. I just don't agree or I just don't even think it's good that he's just constantly pointing out that he doesn't care if you're offended. He literally spends hours of his day on Twitter going, like, I don't fucking care if you're offended. Like, you do man like this is your whole fucking thing now yeah yeah. like i listened to him he was on sam harris's podcast would you believe Ah. and he was excellent on it like i i don't disagree with him like fundamentally on any of the things that he does i just disagree with him constantly going on about it i feel like he's he's i feel like he's drumming up the controversy along the way you know what i mean like he's doing something else to to keep that thing going. I don't know. It's just, it just feels disingenuous to me because it's so fucking overplayed. Like I get it. Mm-hmm. You don't care that we're offended. You don't need to tell me for the 10th fucking time. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just think that that's such a weird way to behave. Like you can't be the antagonist. And then when everyone is giving you the exact attention that you knew you were going to attract by deciding to be the antagonist to constantly just reinforce the same shit over and mm-hmm. over and say, you don't mm-hmm. care about it. You do care about it. You went out of your way to do it it's what you care about it's your thing like you yeah, don't have yeah, yeah. to be 
you don't have to like disown your like i don't know whatever the uk office though is one of the greatest comedies of all time i um i don't really like i know it's great but i don't like it i i much prefer the us one interesting mm. like i definitely think they're different types of humor um and i definitely think the us one <clears throat> taps into something that the uk one doesn't yeah yeah but the uk one if you contextualize it and realize like when and where it came from <clears throat> it's sort of ridiculous that it ever came into being and mm. a lot of it's actually down to the fact that he kind of developed his career at a late age when he just wasn't willing to take any shit and he was like i want yeah. complete control oh his <clears throat> his origin story is incredible um yeah i have so much respect for it but also i'm noticing that in his most recent interviews he seems to just pretend that stephen merchant doesn't exist yeah what's that about i know um, and also the fact that like when you look at like the office when stephen merchant had a, like a significant role to play and then his later stuff that is less funny objectively it's sort of like is it sort of a larry david jerry seinfeld thing maybe but but stephen merchant is so talented though. he's so funny and he's so smart funny as well like he's really yeah. good like i i feel like it would be basically impossible to just say he didn't mm. i don't know well, i yeah, don't know yeah yeah i wasn't there i can't but also in relation to like the us office i wonder does stephen merchant get any kickback from that like make any money yeah, he does. His name is on the producer uh, list. It? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, and his name continues to be on the producer list all the way up to season nine or whatever it is. So brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I actually think he continued writing for it. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I, I That's believe so cool. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I guess staying on focus, uh, staying on topic, is going to be impossible for. Maybe, but in relation to Disney, though. Mm. Yeah. I, I don't really care about staying on topic, by the way. I don't yeah, think no, the listeners neither. do either, so it's yeah, yeah. fine if we get sidetracked. Or What's your favorite Disney movie? That's such a tough question, man. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Um, I had a very, very, very strange childhood in comparison to uh, my age group. Um, I, I didn't see any of them growing up. Um, the first Disney movie I saw was Toy Story, and then the second one I saw was Mulan. Um, I never saw any of the others till I got much older. Like I never saw the Lion King. I never yeah. saw Cinderella. I never saw um, Aladdin or like, I never yeah. saw any of those. So I don't really have that same attachment to them that other people do. Mm. Um, like for example, when it turned out that Will Smith was going to be playing the genie, I, like I couldn't give a fuck. I never saw the originals. I really, yeah. really, really like Mulan though. I actually think it's, it's um, I, I don't know this because this is the one that I actually do have some kind of attachment to. Yeah. It seems to me to be an outlier to the other ones. Um, there's yeah, something in, in the way that the, even just the way the music is set in it, mm -hmm. um, the bad guys who I believe are the Huns, um, they're just completely evil. And they're also like humanized as mm. evil they're not like this nebulous force that can be explained away through song mm. like they're this evil force coming to invade your town and kill all your relatives mm. and it, it gives so much more weight to the um the battle that they're gearing yeah, up for yeah, yeah. and stuff interesting um and i don't think that any other disney movie that i've seen since but i could be wrong because i, I, I again i'm not really the person to ask 
Um, so I suppose if you were to ask me my favorite movie, I would cheap out and say one of the Star Wars movies because technically, yeah. But yeah. if I, to give you the answer that you're looking for, I would just have to say Mulan kind of by default. Interesting, because like it's kind of funny because I'm big into Disney. Say like I think they're brilliant movies. I think they're brilliant messages. I think they're very well done, especially when Disney merged with Pixar. I think the fucking like uh, opportunity for developing insanely progressive film just exponentially increased mm. and despite that Mulan would have been one I watched maybe in first in my 20s or something it's it's fantastic though isn't it it is yeah no it, it's really good but I don't think I'd have it in like my top five or ten uh, okay yeah interesting yeah, yeah, like yeah. again I've, I still to this day I've never seen The Lion King yeah wow. never seen Beauty and the Beast never saw Cinderella never wow. saw uh, Sleeping Beauty I never see, saw those I'd, I'd group the kind of Cinderella Sleeping Beauty sort of in sort of a an older group of Disney movies. Like I think the new age Disney movies sort of began, I'm not sure which came first, whether it was like Aladdin, Lion King, or that sort of thing. The ones from the 90s, essentially. Yeah, exactly. I think they changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, and they decided, okay, let's kind of modernize it. Because like, you know, like the bippity-boppity-boo songs or whatever from the older ones are just really dated. Yeah. But then again, like the, the, the movies themselves are really old. But I remember it was like my brother's christening and I went to see The Lion King in the cinema. And I was like, it could actually have been the first movie I've ever, I ever watched in the cinema. Yeah. And it blew me away, like um, the visuals, the soundtrack, the message, the archetypal kind of symbolism, like just incredible. Yeah, it's my housemate Jay absolutely loves The Lion King. So and good. Even like when I hear him, like he's perfectly able to recount um how he felt when he saw it first yeah, and I, exactly. I like i wish i had something like that but uh, i can't yeah. it, it's really hard for me to get into cartoons when i watch them now yeah um, but it's uh like i understand how great it is also one of my favorite uh troll uh positions to hold is that it's just hamlet with lions <laughs> well no it's even worse than that you could say it's it's emergence of hamlet and simba the white lion mm which also exists, yeah. So like that, that's what a lot of people said, uh, or like that was the criticism of it, that they just stole it from Hamlet and put Simba the White Lion there. Or was it, was it Simba or Kimba? I can't remember. I think it was Simba. But um, like Jeremy Irons' Scar, I think is just one of the best vocal performances of a villain that we've ever heard. Yeah. Um, and his song, Be Prepared, is probably in my top three songs, Disney songs of all time. Um, I think it was uh, Tim Rice who did the lyrics and the wordplay at the end. And like just the passion and energy that Jeremy Irons imbues it with is just incredible. Incredible. Like it's just brilliant. I yeah, um, Such a good song. I watched my, um, when I was going out with my ex, we had to babysit her two nieces one night and we watched i want to say the jungle book mm. um that's the one that has like the beatles are in it but not actually the beatles mm. but the band of what are they vultures vultures yeah, yeah. Mm. i was about to say scavengers like very well, very close are. yeah yeah and i'm not incorrect yeah um yeah. Uh, but there's a, a point in it where i want to say boo baloo Baloo, there's, a, there's a, a point in it where baloo dies but doesn't actually die mm, but like so it, sad and i remember my my ex-girlfriend's niece was like she had never she i think she was four and death was not a concept that she yeah. knew of and i was like i swear to god i can't explain this to you like my hands were shaking my heart was pounding out of my chest because no. this kid was like what happened to him is he 
like asleep or and then i was like oh my god this person has no idea what death is and yeah. i'm gonna have to be the one to fucking explain <laughs> it to her um Heavy. but then then baloo got better and then it was okay but for those moments i was so fucking panicked and yeah. i had so much anxiety and yeah also just so much like holy shit this is a thing that people don't know and then they learn it at some stage in life and like oh yeah, my God. yeah, yeah. um and i feel like just that's that's always been like such a powerful moment for me because i remember it so vividly yeah yeah, yeah. but it's, yeah no, but, but you're basically witnessing a consciousness's first experience with the extin- extinction of consciousness yeah like and imagine yeah. having to hear that from me like get used <laughs> to it because that's all you're gonna think about for the rest of your life yeah i know jesus that's really heavy um yeah. would or oops <laughs> you can say her name it's, I don't think anyone listening is going to uh, well ask the question <laughs> would she not have stepped in yeah she probably would yeah like she was all over it but like I just feel like if the I have this thing about me where people always uh, come to me to explain the concepts of things like I don't know I, I have <laughs> I'm like, like a, a walking dictionary <laughs> not like that but <laughs> I feel like, I don't know, I, I, I feel a certain type of social pressure sometimes where, like, for example, right, did you, I know you watched some of the podcasts I did with Andy last week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was brilliant. So there was a, a moment where we were in Barcelona and this Italian radio station came up to us and asked if we wanted to do an interview. And I Andy said yes, right? But <laughs> I'm the one who did the interview. Because, okay. like, I'm always the one who does the talking. Like, I'm yeah, always yeah, being, yeah. like, a like a speaker or an orator. Cordially or invited by Andy, though, no less. Yeah, Andy just yeah, threw yeah. me in. He's Brilliant. like, yeah, uh, you seem like you'd be the best one to do this. So. Well, you have the radio voice, like, you know what I mean? You have the command. Do you think? Of... Yeah. I actually think my voice sounds like this weird. I feel like I'm the most, like, unnatural sounding podcaster out of all of them. Or I don't know. I don't know. No, I, uh, no you do good. I think yeah. I think I enunciate my words very clearly, and that's a that's a yeah. strong like thing in my favor. Mm. But I've also never heard of another broadcaster who sounds like me, if you know what I but mean. But you also look like Leonidas, so who? You know the Spartan Leonidas. Ah. Leonidas, Leonidas. Because of my mm. beard. No, it was because of your uh, my upper biceps. body. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. My physique. Yeah. No, it's that alien jumper. I'm pretty sure I've seen. Uh, Leon, whatever yeah. his name is, wearing that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Famously. Yeah, um, yeah. Speaking of which, three hundred. That's one of my movies. Not um, I, I, I Disney Disney movies. The that uh, Jungle Book was. I I I thought that that was a great movie. Um, it is a great movie. Yeah. Although, I, okay. So <clears throat> to contextualize it for me personally, it was like the only Disney movie, maybe that and Lady and the Tramp, that I actually had on VHS when I was growing up in like the early nineties. And mm. um, so it would always get stuck into the uh, cassette player when, say, my mom wants to occupy me or keep me like just sitting down watching something like Jungle mm. Book or Lady and the Tramp. But it always irked me that he was after making these incredible friends like, and had the most amazing experience. And all it took was some attractive lady walking to fetch some water and he abandons them. I think there's a lot of stuff like that in um, kids movies and stuff where it's very hard to follow the logic of people who are... Um, but, but, but like on a bigger level though, he is going back to his own people. He doesn't belong in the jungle. Like he isn't a feral... <laughs> 
mm. uh, wolf child. So like it, it, it is sort of like fitting that he joins his people. But I just always like, I think it's the fact that, that they talked. If like, if it was the, like, he, if he was just like in the company of animals and like, <laughs> like defecating and urinating in holes in the ground and like eating raw meat and like chasing after smaller mammals and ripping them to pieces, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Like, you, you, you should go back to your own people, Mowgli. Like, I think you've you've done enough damage there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the fact that he's actually talking to them, that he's enjoying honey with Baloo, and he's, like, singing songs. And then it's like, why the hell would you leave that for someone you haven't even spoken to? Yeah, especially at such a young age when you wouldn't really be thinking, like, oh, here's a woman. <laughs> That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe he was after the water jar. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe he had a paraphilia. I did always feel like that movie ended kind of suddenly, though. It, like it extremely suddenly. Yeah. All of a sudden, there's someone grabbing water and, and it's over. Yeah, I, I, I thought to myself like mm. as it was uh, ending, uh, like I was like, yeah. that's that's not it though, is it? There's another movie or something. But... Yeah, in fact, like you, you know the part with like the vultures and Shere Khan. Is that his name? Yeah, the I think so. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, like that. Like that's such a culmination. That's such a like a pinnacle of kind of emotive experience within that movie. And then after that, it sort of just waddles down to the waterway and yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then that's it. It's just going to end like it, it didn't like end with a bang. It ends with a whimper. Like it's a, such a whimperous end. And some, I know of one book that ends on a kind of a whimper like that. And when I was reading it, I was like, where's oh, the rest? Too. But then, but then I thought about it. And then now it's one of my favorite endings to a book ever. Um, the Bible. The Bible, <laughs> the, the very book. Um, no, it was actually Choke by Chuck Palahniuk, which uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to be embarrassed to like that or not, but I don't give a shit. I know that he's the guy who wrote Fight Club, and I know that, like, ooh, Fight Club's not cool. Like, I'm sorry, I don't care. I really like this Good. book. Fuck off and leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> um, I actually, I like all of his books. They're excellent. I think he was so fucking ahead of his time with everything. Like, I think he was like 20 years ahead of his time. Um, I think the cinematography of that movie is way ahead of its time, sort of in like a, a yes. Matrix-esque way. Yep, absolutely it is. David Fincher is an absolute, like, uh, yeah. he's, he's such an innovator when it comes to yeah. his filmmaking. He's but I think a lot of that was down to the, the subject matter of the book itself, which is the way he captured it pre- emptied so many other movies of that yeah. time and it was such a trendsetter like the matrix was as well yeah yeah i agree there's there's an amazing scene in fight club that i love so much that just so uh it does a really good job of symbolizing the type of consumerism that it's criticizing where um the narrator edward norton is he comes back to his apartment and he's 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 narrating over talking about um, Pottery Baron, his obsession with Pottery Baron. And as he talk, talks like, oh, I thought that this yin yang table would look great in my apartment. And then it pops up in his apartment and the Pottery Baron catalog comes alive and it comes out and it's like $295. And then each individual item from the catalog starts to appear in his apartment. And mm. you're like, this is 1999. And like all these things come to life like this through like digital editing and stuff like yeah, that. Like, yeah. It's absolutely brilliant when you watch it. And it's so, mm. you would never think about it. Like it's so seamless the way that it happens. And that's mm. such a Fincher thing. Like even like the very first episode of House of Cards, I believe is directed by Fincher. And there's a, a part in it where someone is on a bench like this and the text message comes out of the phone and it just, it scrolls across the screen. And that's mm. such a, like usually direct, like directors haven't figured out how to, 
showcase text messaging in movie to give it a type of the same type of feel that dialogue does like mm -hmm. in dialogue you can have dialogue backed by menacing music that tells mm -hmm. you the tension mm -hmm. that's on show with a text message you can't do that but the mm. message popping out of the thing onto the screen. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Nobody does that. If you think about it, whenever yeah. someone sends a text, it's you see someone look at the phone like this and go, <gasps> and then you see the phone on the screen and it shows <laughs> the message in it. But like, it's so simple. Just have it pop up out of the thing. And, uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Although, um, yeah, yeah. I think Black Mirror, I think there's a few episodes that have managed it quite well subsequently, but obviously that's like almost really? 20 years after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's then, true. Yeah, speaking of House of Cards, though, you just reminded me of that song that I've like recently got into, I think at a deeper level, that at this moment in time. So I actually think that with the lockdown and everything, the world, like globalization has halted and that we've actually sort of reverted back to a kind of a suburbia kind of mode of existence where things are a lot more local. Mm. We still have access to the internet and all these other things, but we're a lot more interested in how these things are affecting us, affecting us at like a neighborhood level. Like I remember seeing something from the BBC. It was like, put in your postcode and see like how coronavirus has affected the area you're in, which to me just sounds like utter fear mongering to be like, okay, it's essentially asking you how much do I want to avoid my neighbors or whatever. Mm. Like, I, I think it sounds terrible. But in relation to House of Cards, like there's an incredible Radiohead song by the same name. In Rainbows, um, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's one of the most hauntingly beautiful and chilling and pausing songs that like, just makes you stop. And it's so personal. And like some of the illusions, like throw your keys in the bowl and this sorts of thing and, and those sorts of things, like just alluding to the most sort of suburbanite kind of dark sort of shadowy areas of that culture in a way that yeah like only tom york i think can describe in that way and, and then just the haunting lyrics and, and then this haunting sort of high-pitched vocal refrain is it's just incredible and, and then when you contextualize that with the uh like later separation from his wife slash partner and yeah, just, I don't know. It's, it's just such an interesting song. And I think one that I've related to more in these times, kind of in the last three to four months than I've ever related to before. That's like, um, that's really fucking interesting because there's something there that's really, really hard to explain, but it's that sort of, I, I, it's been played to death, you know, the nine to five board, the same routine type thing. Mm -hmm. there, there's something about, I got, so, I'll use another song. Um, the band Our Lady Peace, one of my favorite bands ever, they've got this track called All For You. Mm -hmm. And it's basically about this, uh, the protagonist of the song feels so much angst because he, nothing he does will ever impress his dad. Mm -hmm. um, but he talks about his like um, just suburban upbringing and how it's, it hasn't taught him anything because everything is so um, monotonous. Mm -hmm. and um, the suburban sprawl is so monochrome that there's just no intriguing things in his life mm -hmm, and in, in, in the verses it says the words um, I need irrelevance intelligence a new tattoo a lot more sex and it's, mm -hmm. it's like I find that so interesting because those are the four things that people point to to like get away from the basic mm -hmm. you know the droll and the, the boredom Monotony, yeah. but once you do those things and get them done then you're just right back to where you were and then you're still putting the keys in the bowl yeah 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 exactly yeah 
Yeah, and like, and that was another album that I was thinking of uh, talking about as well as like the suburbs, Barricade Fire, because I, I really do think things have become a lot more lo- localized now, and that's an album that I've recently kind of delved deeper into. I um, love that you did as well, because yeah. I feel like I often say to you like, oh, check out this album, and yeah. it's very, like you do the same thing to me. It's very rare that we come back to those things and say, hey man, I checked out that album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um. With the suburbs, yeah, that that album is. I like. I'm not even the biggest Arcade Fire fan. No, I think same. they're an amazing band. Yeah, you know? yeah, me too. I feel like I can't get into them. Yeah, but the suburbs definitely speak. It's to so me. good. Yeah, and like lyrically, musically, uh, atmospherically, uh, like just in so many ways. And then the fact that like you can relate to each and every one of the songs so well. Yeah. Like like I'm a huge chess fan, and then like in that song Deep Blue, when he talks about like Kasparov's like. Mm. highly uh famous game with the ibm machine deep blue yeah exactly by the same name and and how he kind of spun that in a way that we could all relate to as well you know what i mean yeah like it's just incredible like yeah the i don't know who writes the lyrics i presume it's the singer but my god he has a way for like kind of just turn a phrase i think it's him and his wife i think they actually do i think they do a blend type amazing where they yeah i I think that's what makes it powerful yeah because i think it started with you sending me that song uh sprawl uh, yeah number two yeah 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 there's some Um, band for putting brackets at the end yeah 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 they are yeah but like that was it and i was listening to that and i listened to it a bit more and more and now obviously whenever i listen to it i'm just thinking oh yeah yeah, yeah. that's uh that's your fave song or whatever or one of them off it if not the just one that you like got into and were into it enough to send it on to me i yeah. went i went to see them with my ex-girlfriend at uh malahide mm. they were her favorite band and i never really liked them to be mm-hmm. honest because they're so fucking pretentious mm-hmm. like they're actually just so up themselves mm-hmm. but i also feel like they deserve to be and i would be if i were them too yeah but i always feel like i'm being mistreated by people who are that pretentious like i don't yeah, know yeah, yeah. Feel like they hate me they don't <laughs> want me at their shows but um they do <laughs> well they do they got my money didn't they but um i remember i didn't i i had listened to the suburbs album but i never I was like skipping songs based on what was in the set list and stuff like that, because I wanted to know the songs mm. to sing along to them. Um, and I wanted to show her that I was making an effort because like I had dragged her to so many punk rock basement mm. gigs in like sweaty, piss smelling, terrible. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm going to do this thing and be nice and all. And like, and I was just watching them from your house. <laughs> <laughs> That's correct. Yes. I, I live in complete squalor. Um, this is a green screen behind me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I remember like- And it's I, only green because the mold is encroaching <laughs> on it so extensively. <laughs> yeah, it's a very effective kind of green screen. Um, Always changing, in fact. Yeah, yeah. I have to constantly do color correction on Sony Vegas when I make these videos. <laughs> but um, I, I, had, I had learned like Ready to Start and like all those songs, but I, I'd never listened- I, to me, it was like, it's a song called Sprawl 2 and then in brackets, Mountains Beyond Mountains. It's an interlude. I'm not fucking going to listen to that song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never. Exactly. But, um, I remember like the the lady, uh, Mrs. Butler, singing it and just the dead shopping malls rise like mountains beyond mountains. And I remember just being like, oh my fucking God, that's actually the best lyric I've ever heard in my entire life. Like, <laughs> like no line in the song has ever made me think yeah. more like, oh my And God. how beautiful is her voice? 
Yeah, it's amazing. Like, it's, it's amazing. You shouldn't be allowed to sing at that pitch and be able to do it so perfectly. But it's so beautiful. Like, it's the most gorgeous voice. Mm. And That's, she does it so effortlessly. I got, I got like, very annoyed at that concert because uh, they had put out this public service announcement about a year before this gig where they were saying that if you're coming to our shows, please dress formally. Like, we would like to see people dressed in shoes mm. and slacks or whatever. I was like... Okay, fuck, like, I'm not doing that. But then mm. they're up on stage dressed like they're about to go and fucking play laser tag or something. Yeah, There's yeah. one fellow wearing one of them, um, the jock high school fucking, uh, like, like you know those? Either? No, like uh, the jackets that are... That oh, right, ones. yeah, 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 like the blazers. The, yeah, 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 one of those. I'm just yeah, like, yeah. get a grip of yourselves telling me yeah, how to dress yeah. at your shows. But um, yeah, what a song. <clears throat> and just the whole album itself is just it's a letter to the suburbs. It's not positive. It's not negative. It's just, here's a document that expresses what it is to live in the suburbs. And like, if, if you think about just how like poignant that is as a subject, it's in every single, especially the newer like Netflix shows, Mm -hmm. like 13 reasons why is just set in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And, um, even like lesser shows like, uh, well, basically anything on Netflix, Mm -hmm. like all of these shows, they're set in the suburbs. and, And the reason is that like, the monotony people are just looking for something more amidst the monotony and it's, yeah like the white picket fence perfect garden perfect wife yeah. nine to five job yeah four week vacation year like it's a very very and i think this is one of the things i'm most impressed by the suburbs is a, a hugely associated with north america mm-hmm. as a concept yet they make it so relatable for people of of other kind of nationalities yeah yeah I, I've always found yeah. it especially easy to relate to it because I've lived yeah. in so many different houses in my life. Yeah. So like I understand what it is to come from certain areas and like yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a much better grasp of what it is to be a person who lives in a very small town and mm-hmm. what it is to be a person who lives in a suburban sprawl. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I like, um, they always like speak to me that little bit extra or something. Yeah, yeah, completely. I, I just can't believe how much emotion he can put into a song based on a combination of the lyrics, how he sings it, his turn of phrase, and then the music in the background. It's just incredible. Like, it, it, it all comes together in like just this ambient world that just sucks you in, places you there, and you, you're just sort of looking around amazed that someone could do that with just the, the medium of music. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. I don't know if we explained this to the listeners, but we're talking about an album called The Suburbs by Arcade Fire. Um, mm. And it's a double album, I believe. It's, it's pretty it's a, it's a long one anyway i'm not sure yeah i think yeah. it's like 18 tracks um i think it came out on two discs I'm okay sure. cool um but yeah it's it's class it's um yeah. it's it's just a document in time that describes a certain type of existence and i find those types of things to be so interesting yeah although one thing i find really interesting is you know the chorus to modern man mm, sing it for me there did it, did it. Like it's, so the reason I'm bringing it up is it's very, very similar to the chorus from Money, Money, Money by ABBA. Like, you know, when she sings, in my dreams I have Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he even says, in my dreams, in it. And the whole thing goes identical to Money, Money, Money chorus. It must so be a bizarre. reference then. I don't know, though. I honestly don't know. It's a, mm. it's a, if it is, it's a bit of a strange re- reference because I don't think he alludes to anything. Although, like, maybe modern man's fixated on money. Who knows? If you were to ask him about it, he'd give you some bullshit But I I wonder, could it be some sort of cryptomnesia where he didn't even realize that it was a previous song? 
this is a really weird thing, right? That's this is uh, an esoteric moment in this podcast between me and you. You said the term cryptomnesia to mm. me the other day, right? Mm. And then since then, it has been everywhere in my life. I watched a video about it today on YouTube that just no appeared in my recommendations. Way. Amazing. Um, that's called frequency illusion. Yeah. When you learn a new term and then all of a sudden it's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But that's that so has cool. happened to me. And now you've said it again. And I'm like, this is like, I'm in the matrix and that's it's brilliant. trying to, this word means something now that I have to use it to find the. That's class. Yeah. A, a, a term I learned recently, which I think is pretty amazing, even though I knew the, the meaning of it, but <clears throat> I didn't know the word for it is hypnopedia. What does that mean? It's like learning under the influence of sleep. So like, you know, when you'd like ah. put the earphones in and listen to like, yeah. And yeah, be expected to, or hoping to learn what you're listening to while you sleep. So the process is hypnopedia. When I was younger, I genuinely thought that if I put a book under my pillow and slept on it, that some way the words would go into my Interesting. head. Interesting. Osmosis, like. Yeah. Yeah. I had like, a similar thing when I was a kid from watching Dexter's Laboratory. Like there's one scene where he like grinds up a huge big tome of a book into a little tablet and he swallows it and then he has all the knowledge of that book. I was like, that would be incredible. That show is excellent. It's so excellent. Like the yeah. voice acting alone is worth watching. Edie, get out of my lab. Yeah, I know. It's brilliant. Like it's just so good. I actually think he might even be voiced by a woman. She was such a bitch, Didi. I know Didi was so annoying. Like, Ooh, what does this button do? Yeah, wrecking yeah. the buzz. Like, oh, Didi, yeah. you're such a wreck the head. <laughs> but then Mandark as well, like his arch nemesis. Mm. And then the dad. Do you ever see the one with the muffins? And then so. his mom is making muffins and it's him and Didi's job to divert their father away from them so that because the mom is like, if these get eaten, I'm going to think it's you two. I'm pretty sure that's the premise. And the dad is there lurking in the, the background being like, I'm going to scoff these muffins and the kids will get blamed. So they, they try so hard to keep him away from them. But it's so brilliant. Like it, it's actually very, very out there and that there's loads of sort of hallucinations and all yeah. like states and it's the dad thinking he's in like muffin land and there's these songs like it's incredible i remember one where dexter got a a labrador and um it's a cross between a labrador and a golden retriever right and he yeah. finds it on the street or something and it becomes his friend and follows him in and oh, his, okay. his dad is in his room one day <laughs> and all dexter hears is dexter how long have you been keeping this lab a secret from me? <laughs> and you think he's talking about the fucking laboratory. Yeah, 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 brilliant. His dad turns around and goes, because I just love Labrador Retrievers. <laughs> oh, brilliant. So, yeah, 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 fantastic. Yeah. What a show. How did we get to that show? The Suburbs to Dexter? We talked about... You were saying, no, oh no, wait, you were saying how the pillow and the book under the pillow you oh, were going to yeah, read. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, I said yeah. Dexter grounded up into a tablet. Yeah, yeah. But it's really funny because one of my earliest childhood memories with Andy actually involves a quote from Dexter when we were after. <clears throat> so the Tomb Raider PlayStation game had just come out. And this famous like page three model, Nell McAndrew, was like dressed up as Lara Croft and she was in the Smiths toy store or was it no it was the toys R Us or the smiths in dublin city mm. and me andy and andy's mom went in to see it see her like get her photos taken and we did and it was great and blah 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 but then we're coming home on the uh, on the bus back into back back home and for whatever reason like there's this quote from an early dexter episode where like dexter's dad wants to watch the golf 
and Dexter wants to like spend some quality time with his dad and, and his dad doesn't want him to interrupt like you know I mean he, doesn't, he just wants to enjoy it by himself so Dexter's dad then pretends that he's watching something really horrific and violent and then Dexter comes in he's like no no, no you can't see this this is terribly gory it's it's, it's horrific like then he says like run my son cover your eyes the carnage is unspeakable and like Dexter runs out like crying nearly that he saw this like horrible thing that his dad and then for whatever reason me and Andy would just like retell that line to each other and just being not laughing it was very very odd as like we would when I must have been actually I know what age I was I was like eight seven or eight and the reason I know is because I was actually wearing the coat in that photo that I crushed my finger in and they had to cut the sleeve off to get my my hand out how did so that happen? Well, but how did you crush your finger? Someone swung it in the gate. Oh. You know about that. No, dude. I fucking moved to River Valley in 2002. No, but subsequently that must have come up in conversation. The fact I have a crushed baby finger. I spent a lot of my time like very drunk. There's a lot of information. Yeah. And then... you, you must. Like you've got uh, Korsakoff's or one of those like, <laughs> post-alcohol <laughs> dementias. Um, Wow, yeah, no, like, like half my baby finger's gone. Can you show it to the camera? I can, like, but I'm just going to give a trigger warning or whatever these kids call it these days, but, uh... How did I not know about this? Yeah. I have, like, shaken that hand, like... You have. That's and fucking... Do you know what the weirdest thing is? So the way that happened was my friend at the time swung the gate that actually crushed it. And mm. you know what his surname is? Hand. No way. <laughs> Seriously. Jesus Christ. And you know what's even weirder than that? His the... first name is Crushed. <laughs> <laughs> the consultant surgeon who fixed my finger was Mr. Small. And it's my baby finger. No way. How weird. Fucking Small hell. hand. And like I was nine. I'm trying, like, I definitely did not know that story. Dude, you definitely did. I straight You, you blacked it out because you, what I suffer, you suffer, and you basically went through delayed PTSD. That's why you were in the uh, rehab for so long. That must be it, <laughs> that, yeah. That's what turns you to alcohol. In the that would explain place. a lot, yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But then you forgot wow. about it through the alcohol. Yeah, well, I'm an amazing person, so that's what I do. <laughs> um, speaking of alcohol, I need to go get some. Yeah, me too, actually. Okay, cool. I also need, really need to piss, so I'll mm. be back here in like two minutes. Yeah. Cool. All right. I, I've got one that might be interesting. Yeah, shoot. I, I think that you'll have something to say about it anyway. Naturally. So this is a really, this is an outlier, and I don't think okay. you will have expected this, right? But you know how the weather has been super nice in London lately? Yeah. Um, it's been the same in Dublin. Very nice weather. Yeah. But even if you're stuck at home in the lockdown... And it's not nice weather for you. Like, what better thing to do than to listen to an album that makes you feel nice weather? Um, so the album that I want to talk about is called So Much for the City by The Trills. Hmm, interesting, yeah. What do you think about that album? I remember somebody gave me a burned copy of the CD in secondary school in order to get my pass into some, like, teen nightclub. I wow. was, like, 14 or 15. They gave me The Thrills so much for the city and they gave me the strokes is this it i think they were out the same year actually or close enough that's crazy isn't it and they were the two albums he gave me like burned copies and then i gave him like a license like a pass basically for this nightclub in uh, a south dublin 
suburb, no less. Wow, nice. Yeah. Um, was it in Taranura by any chance? No. Uh, I know. Sort of vibe. Yeah, I know one in Taranura that's probably mm. like a very similar one. Mm. Um, but yeah, this album is so summery. What um, nationality are they? Do you not know the answer to this? They're Irish, are they? Yeah, they're from Dublin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They no, went to making sc- sure. They went to school in Gonzaga in the south of Dublin and everything. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. They um they went on um they went to California on a J1 visa, which is like a thing that Irish students get um by the government in America where they go on like a work experience thing. It's usually about 4 months long, I think it is. Mm. Um and they went there and just wrote an album about their experiences and it's called so much for the city. And it is just a beautiful, like sun kissed album of like strong seventies vibes. And just, it just, it's about a band having fun on holiday. It's great. Yeah. So seventies certainly, but I even think you could argue that it's the progeny of like kind of the beach boys. It's as well. Beach boys is the most obvious thing, but I hear, but I think the vocals sound the most like the birds to me. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that they're really soft and ethereal. Yeah, and very like, harmless. Um, and, but, and harmonious, yeah. yeah. And harmo- yeah, very much harmonious. They sound yeah. like they're being sung on those, you know, the microphones that are like, yeah, those kinds of ones. Yeah, and it sounds like he's the most relaxed person on planet Earth. Yeah. It sounds yeah. like he's just gone for like a seven day long massage and then he got up and this is how he sang. Yeah, even just yeah. like from the, the moment it's like so much for the city. Blah, yeah. blah, like it's um it's such a relaxing thing. And I like I'm telling you for anyone to see even to the monkeys as well. Hey, hey, you're the monkeys. Yeah. People yeah. say you're monkeying around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Um, they also have, they have a track on a later album called Whatever Happened to Corey Haim, which is interesting because now it's like whatever happened to the trills. Mm, yeah Um, yeah that album is such a a telepathic kind of experience yeah Um, it it, it taps into something yeah that is that that definitely transports you to a place yeah i can still hear you by the way (laughs) nice um that's i'm wearing a manic street preachers t-shirt oh nice i Mm. am I only have Metallica t-shirts for anyone who's watching this. <laughs> also, if you're just listening to this on iTunes or whatever, I just took off my jumper and mm. uh, I'm wearing a Metallica t-shirt as I was in the last episode. Nice. Um, but yeah, that album, I during the hottest day of the work week last week, I opened the window in my room. I had the sun just beaming in the window. I couldn't even see the full part of mm. my screen, but I was still like, ah, fuck it. And I put on so much for the city and I just felt like I was sitting on a deck chair outside yeah, of a mansion yeah, yeah. in the in the Hollywood Hills. Exactly. While the sun just washed over me. It was like yeah, such yeah, a yeah. nice um it was like a transformative experience. I mean, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I felt like I was there. But yeah, you totally can feel the sunlight through that album. Like it's so bizarre. Yeah, the album itself is like the 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 um sepia tint from Instagram or something. Mm, like it's, yeah, it's just yeah. a f- filter of sun washed yellowness like exactly yeah and like you can literally smell the salt water you can mm-hmm. yeah just feel the warm breeze like it's so interesting the way certain albums do that like one album that i think is crazy how well it transports you somewhere is u2's joshua tree like mm. whenever i listen to that i feel like i am like in like i don't know i, I don't even know where the actual joshua tree like what state that is even set in but just that general vibe of like kind of 
I think say Minnesota or something. That's northern. I think this is more southern. Ah, fuck, I don't know. I think so, but um, I thought it was one that began with an M. So maybe like maybe I don't know, but it's just like the Badlands or something. Like you know what I mean? Like kind of just that sort of vibe, and then you just feel like you're in this sort of desert, kind of New Mexico esque sort of barren landscape and you just feel there like running to stand still i just feel like i'm around a campfire and someone's just like yeah just barding away it's just incredible mm. yeah um, it's it's, it's just crazy. weird yeah, yeah sorry go on you, you. no I'm, I'm like i'm not the biggest u2 fan like i think they're incredible musicians i think they've got some incredible music i do think the unforgettable fire is their greatest album but or maybe baby but i do think though that the joshua tree just like pulls you into this place and it was really cool because there's this show, what's it called? Is it the, is it Songbook or something? And it talks, bands through, or is it like Amazing Albums, like a VH1 sort of show? Oh, could be, yeah. Yeah, and, and like The Edge was on talking. He was like, I really wanted this album to bring you somewhere like physical, not just like a mental place, but an actual physical place. And I'd thought about this for like a while before I'd listened to this interview, be like, yeah, like, wow, I really feel like I'm somewhere else when I listen to it. There's a few, um, it, it's crazy to think that U2 used to be such a respectful band who made so many seminal um, pieces of music and like that mm. so many people took inspiration from them. I think like they've really done themselves a disservice. Mm. I, I don't really even know what, where it went wrong for them. Mm. Um, but when you hear uh, guitar riffs like in Sweet Disposition by The Temper Trap, I don't think enough people realize that that's straight out of the edge. Mm. Like he's basically yeah. who invented that kind of guitar riff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it's actually crazy to me to think of that because um, I think you are from the age group where, like, you, I know you're like a year older than me or whatever it is, two years. Um, you just had. I think you were like the last generation to understand U2 as like the greatest stadium rock band ever. Mm -hmm. Whereas my generation has that kind of spiteful, like underlying mm. hatred for them. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. I could never truly appreciate them for the musicians that they were, but like they're so much better than like any of the bands that I would put over them if you know. Yeah, what I mean. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um it's it's actually crazy to me like just to think about that. Like to think of you two as like the trendsetters. I know. And, the, like, and to contextualize it as well, like to go back to like the eighties in Dublin and to think that like out of that spawned this like global phenomenon is mm -hmm. crazy. And so much of it was down to like just the innate vaulting ambition of the band and the members and obviously a bit of luck, which I think most people would agree that most bands uh kind of benefit from. But like Bono's just like an incredible frontman and such an incredible singer. Yeah. Uh, such an interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and he seems like a good guy too from everything yeah. I hear. Like I know he's very much annoyed and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right. I think a, a good measure of a man is how well he copes with kind of mega stardom while trying to maintain a monogamous relationship. Mm. Like as long as things are the way he wants them to be in the relationship and he's happy there, like how well he can maintain that, especially when like, yeah. like I'd say at one point in time, Bono probably could have had like, <laughs> like 500, uh, one out of 500 million women, like, you know what I mean? Like if push came to shove, like something ridiculous. How do you think that plays out in reality? Because I, I see stuff like, it's not, I don't really care if, if people, um, so like personally, infidelity is my least favorite thing ever um no, me too when i was studying othello in school 
so many of the scenes in that made my stomach turn because I felt like, can you imagine what it would be like to be Othello and to be driven to this level yeah. of jealous rage? And it was yeah. over nothing, but he still felt all the things because Iago was so evil and everything yeah. that he planted into him and everything. Um, so like personally, like that's a deal breaker for me in, in, in any aspect, right? but I don't really care what other people do with their personal lives. I'm mm. like very libertarian in that aspect. Like, yeah, no, no, of course. As long as it's like kind of everyone's on board and it's consensual and yeah, it's yeah, agreed yeah. upon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I agree with you though, that it is definitely like a, um, I, what did you say about it? It was a like mark a, of, a, a measure of the man, a measure of the man. Sorry. Yes. I agree. Yeah, with that. Definitely. Yeah. How like John Bon Jovi married his high school sweetheart and they're still together. That's class. But John Bon Jovi is like one of the most sought after men in all of mankind. Like he is like the fuck, like talk about Bono. I think John Bon Jovi is like an even better looking Bono and one who can command a a room of women. Like I I just, could he have stayed faithful for all that? But but no, but it's it's not about staying faithful per se. Like if both of you agree on something and follow through, then that's fair enough. But I think if, say, for instance, the other party wants to wants to keep it like monogamous, and the other, and then the global superstar does stick to their word, like I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah, I think so too. I just wonder if it actually happens. Yeah, true. Like, do you ever hear that story about the Olympic Village? Are you familiar like, with this? Like, so the Olympics in 2012, I think. Oh yeah, was, like just giving out condoms like candy because but, everyone. But like they ran out of them. They had like yeah. 350,000 condoms that they went through because it's, it's all of these athletes in the prime of their lives all fucking each other left, right and center. But like the, like, the most attractive people on the planet uh, with like huge staminas, like they're working out, they've got testosterone gushing out of every pore. That's what I mean. Like John yeah. Bon Jovi's in a, in a van traveling around America, staying at hotels in every major city. Like yeah, there's yeah, no yeah. fucking way. Yeah. He was just like, oh, no, you would have done the dress and you would have, I would yeah, absolutely <laughs> would have done unspeakable things to the man in his prime. He's had a very, uh, very effeminate quality to him <laughs> as well. If I may say so. Yeah. Yeah. He does not, not only his high pitched notes. Yeah. But, um, how do you think he got those high pitched notes? But uh, yeah, no, it's just I, I always wonder it in a weird sort of like it's the same way that um, wrestlers do this too. Like you always hear about stories of wrestlers because they're very similar to the Olympians. They're yeah. high level athletes who are on the road all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I just don't, I don't know. It's I guess it's a not really relevant here at all. But I mean, like it's just something that I often just yeah. I don't know. Because if yeah, it's, yeah. say for example, right, I, I consider myself to be a fan of Bon Jovi. I know that they're terrible and all of that stuff, but like, I don't care. They were like one of my first favorite bands. I think that it, you, you can shit on um, bad medicine and you give love a bad name and live on a prayer and all of that. But like Wanda Dead or Alive is a banger. It's a really good song. And like, it depicts a type of feeling and, and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, forgot where I was going with this. So I'll just say, oh yeah. Um, if you told me like John Bon Jovi is fucking every girl left, right, and center, I'd be like, no, he isn't. John Bon Jovi is—he married his high school sweetheart, and they're still together. There's absolutely no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you were to tell me John Bon Jovi 
has never cheated on his wife. I'd be like, are you fucking kidding me? It's John Bon Jovi. He's going ever like, yeah, I don't know yeah, what yeah. I think about it. And I want to know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I yeah. want to commit to a position here, but I just can't. But, but, but I think both of those are extremes, right? And um, mm-hmm. the reason why you disagree with both of them is because they're too extreme. One is that he's never cheated. And that just seems unbelievable. And the second is that he's cheating left, right and center, which seems kind of incongruent to the fact that he's with his like high school sweetheart. So yeah. that's why you disagree with both of them. If someone said, oh, you do realize that like when he was away from his uh, high school sweetheart for six months and on the road and he was in Sweden and this gorgeous girl, he'd be like, okay, yeah, I can see that. You know what I mean? You might yeah. agree with that. Like, yeah, yeah I think it's yeah. because those two eventualities are on the peripheries of probability yeah kind of yeah that's true yeah and like i do always try and find the nuance and everything it's probably Mm. my biggest flaw and my biggest strength so maybe that's Mm. why i wrestle with the two different things but Mm. i hope that someday i get to the bottom of uh, john bon jovi's private life (laughs) evidently um i'm sure you will yeah so um i don't know i don't know how we even got there but uh i guess here is a good place to go from there um well, actually, do you want to talk about an album? Um, I know what I want to talk about next, but if... I think a really interesting album that has stood the test of time, that is probably as relevant now as it's ever been, that talks about themes that pertain to reality now especially, and that just seems perennial and timeless, Talking Heads' Fear of Music. Oh, wow. Jeez, Talking Heads. There's a... Uh... A reference that I can't even wrestle with because I just don't have the knowledge and it's such a shame. <laughs> like I, I've listened to them a lot, but I find yeah. it very hard to get into because a lot yeah. of their stuff is avant-garde and sort it of is, like, yeah, yeah. It's it's on the edge of like when they do like uh I don't want to say easy listening, but when they do stuff that that just treads the sort of pop music line, you know, like the psycho killer song everybody loves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um once in a while down the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Once in a Lifetime is legit one of my favorite songs of all time. Yeah, but what about, not, like, Naive Melody, This Must Be The Place? Like, that's one yeah. of the most beautiful songs that's been covered, like, a thousand times. Yeah, and, like, yeah. everybody loves it. Like, when I was on Tinder, like, I'd say, like, one quarter to a half of all the, like, my top tracks or whatever was, like, that song. Wow. Yeah. It is crazy, like, and but it resonates so well. And, like, one of the best lines, I think, is... Home is where I want to be, but I guess I'm already there. And it just like totally makes me think of the fact that like you never really know where home is because we're constantly moving, constantly changing. But if you just take a second and step out of yourself for a moment, then you realize that shit, you probably are home. Your home probably has changed. The Shangri-La in your mind of where you consider home, probably if you went back there, you'd feel quite disillusioned and distanced from and that if you live in the moment a little bit more and realize the place that occupies most of your time now is probably the place that you'd miss were you to be snapped up and brought somewhere else. Yeah. Like, I think there's just so much truth to that, right? Like, Especially I, I, now. That's actually, exactly. That kind of restlessness, I think, is exactly what everybody's feeling right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm already there, and we are. Like, uh, if you're in any way of a permanent job, any way of... Uh, long-term lease any way of anything like that then like that is your home and like there's always that sort of trope or that stereotype that when you go back to your like family home like everything seems different everything's changed Mm -hmm. that you can never kind of escape back to the time that you relate to the most like it's it's just fascinating to me um and then i was also talking to a friend about this concept recently nostalgia and how the concept of nostalgia stems from Greek, I think, which is like the disease of the sailors or something like that, like nostos algios. Yeah. And it's like kind of 
the fact that it was the sailors who suffered most when they'd be out in the long voyages and perilous journeys. And it was that sort of bittersweet feeling of thinking about home, but being so far from it that it almost conjures up a negative emotion. It's like, it's just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Nostalgia. And I actually think that nostalgia is the most powerful force in the universe, even more powerful than, than love because it's a love of sort, but a, a love that moves us in a way that's totally irrational. And I think it's influenced and kind of, yeah, like some of the greatest bodies of music and art ever. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I feel like um, nostalgia plays a larger role in my life than it does in anyone else's life because yeah. I constantly talk about how nostalgic I get for certain things and I yeah. just no one can ever match the kind of energy that I put exactly. into it. But you see what I mean? Like once someone starts talking about the thing they love, they become animated. They become, mm. yeah. I, I can't like, I know it's like super embarrassing and all that stuff, but like when I think about um, the summers of going to um, Ramp City, like my skateboard, 12 hours yeah. a day on my skateboard, going up and down half pipes, trying to learn how to do a 360 or like trying yeah. to learn how to do a 5-0 grind on the, like nice. all of those things. I, I cannot explain the type of emotion that washes over me. Yeah, completely. It's, like, it's so, there's like, there, and there's so many um, punk rock bands that I listen to who are able to capture that exact same, what I call the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 2 soundtrack sort of vibe. Um, and I listen to them now. And even if it's a song that I never knew before, like I could hear a song for the first time today that's a skate punk band from 2002. I still am immediately transported to Ramp City. Mm. Like me, Steve, and my cousin Dara going straight there, at like like literally 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., two oh, days in a row on Saturdays and Sundays, coming home absolutely covered in bruises. Like, and sweat. Yeah, and sweat and like struggling to get up the next day, but doing it because you knew that you were going to spend the whole day going up and down the ramps. And, and it's going to be the like, best day ever. Yeah, and you had like a yeah. two-hour window if you got there early enough that the whole skate park was yours and you could do whatever you oh, wanted. Yeah. And um, that is the shit. Like, like flying down, um, flying down the largest quarter pipe in Ireland, going up the camel hump, trying to do an air walk. I tried to do an air walk. Like I would say I tried this 700 times one day. Never once did I get it. But every time I tried, like everybody in the skate park was watching me try. And even when I failed, they were like hammering their skateboards off the ramp as Class. instead of clapping. That's what yeah, yeah, yeah. Sign of respect. Yeah, yeah. And like, oh, just, I would do, I would, I would probably murder a person like to get like a week <laughs> of that back in my life. Like I, I know. Oh no, like, and I don't think you're alone. I think the power of nostalgia is so deeply ingrained and I can't put my finger on why. But if you look back on like the great mythologies of say ancient Greece and ancient Rome, so many of their best stories and their most well-preserved stories center around the fact that the hero or yeah, succumbed to a nostalgia that drove them to fulfill themselves. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. For, for literally millennia, it's been a driving force behind human ambition and human endeavor. And it's such a weird, like literally, it's the definition of anachronism, where we're going to focus on something that existed in a time and a place well before where we are now in a context that is barely recognizable. Yet it's something that drives the present tense in a way as if it were the past. Yeah. yeah. Madness. I, I was talking to a friend of mine uh, a couple of days ago. Um, since the lockdown, I've been like reconnecting with a lot of people or whatever. Mm. And um, this guy has a house now. 
and we're like similar ages and I've met him loads of times and been to loads of concerts together and all that stuff. Yeah. We always, um, in the, in the different spaces that we are in life, the one thing that we share is we were both nineties new metal kids mm. with black hoodies and slipknot and all that stuff. Class. But, um, I was, he showed me a, I showed him a picture of me. Um, I was on my balcony listening to an album that he had recommended me. Mm. The sun beaming down the beer bottle there. And he was like, mm. nice. And then he showed me a picture of his back garden where he's uh, making a, a, a barbecue. And I was like, man, like congrats on having a house. That's awesome. And your back garden is like the perfect type of back garden for me. Just a combination of like, there's a lovely concrete bit there that mm. you don't have to do anything to like only a tiny bit of grass to have to cut and all that. And uh, he was like, yeah, like it's it's actually it's great and i was like you're an adult now and he was like yeah but i still wish i was a kid listening to new metal again and i was like yeah that's pretty much like what i've been chasing my whole life even though objectively i think that's up there with the most unhappy times i've ever had i got yeah. so full of angst and everything yeah, but yeah i think i think the nostalgia comes from the place of like the metal band that you were listening to could always quell your angst in some way because mm -hmm. of that thing I mentioned at the start of the podcast where they mm -hmm. knew exactly how I felt. So I could like, I had that thing there with me or something. It's yeah. I think kind of, you know, like what would you call them? You know, TV shows that center around, center around the contestant vying for a prize. Yeah. And like so many times, like, like game, game shows, basically like game shows. Yeah. yeah. And so many times when like faced with, okay, you can have the $5,000, 5,000 euro or the mystery prize and people mm. go for the mystery prize and the hope yeah. that will, like, like, I think when you're that young, life's a mystery prize. And I think that that there's just something about that concept that's so deeply attractive that when you're 14, 15, 16, right up to 1920, say, that there's just something so unexpected about what's to come, something so optimistic in a way in that it could be anything, right? There, there, there's no sort of limit to what you could achieve or accomplish. And I just think that the, that the ceiling just comes down a bit lower as you get older and, and, and your dreams just get a bit more weight and you become a bit more, you aim your arrow a bit closer to the mark. And But back then, like it, it just seemed like it, it was an open, an open field or, yeah, the, there was no ceiling i think that's possibly maybe one of the reasons why we look, we look back at there with such optimism and happiness i had a very 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 interesting personal moment um last night where um so like a lot of my friends now own houses they've bought their own houses and i'm like nowhere near doing that yeah and it's it's not for reasons that are I haven't been stupid or, or like, well, I kind of have actually, but, um, like I make enough money to be, I could do stuff if I want, I could do stuff like that if I wanted to, but I, I just feel like I, like, I don't even have a fucking contract on my phone because I do not like commitments mm. of any kind. And also I'd say it's partly because I've moved around so many times in my life that the thought of owning one property and having to live there for all my life, that just doesn't wash with me either. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I was thinking to myself, like I, I was looking over my Revolut, uh, or sorry, my bank statement, and I've given 300 euros to Twitch streamers in the month of May alone. So in the last 10 days, I've given 300 euros to streamers that I like. 
Um, and I don't care. That doesn't bother me. But I was thinking like, shit, if I keep doing shit like this, this is why I don't own a home. And then I just sort of from this, like no one can see with this webcam, but mm. my room is uh, there's neon lights like absolutely everywhere. And also you can't see my setup because the camera is coming from the setup. But like my setup is fucking sick. And um, it was just as the I had my this blind open all day and the window open and the sun had just gone down enough that it was time for me to pull the blind down, close the window, turn on the light. Mm. And I, I stepped back and like just all of the lights glowing out of this Christmas tree of a setup. I just thought to myself, like, if I could go back to 13 year old me and tell him that this was my setup, like you're going to grow up and you're going to have this fucking setup. Like you're going to live in a house with people that you get along with really well. Like you're going to have a job that's like so easy for you to do. And people give you so much praise for doing yeah, yeah. that seem like it's not even that much effort to you and stuff like that. Like you would actually be super fucking happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah like, brilliant. I don't know. Like I've tried to tell myself stuff like that loads of times, but this time it just fucking stuck. And I was like, nice shit that's actually like a really really good point and i don't know i felt like i've put a marker down now and gone like brilliant i don't need to be so fucking hung up on how things yeah. aren't going to be the way that like i don't know it's a i don't know what it was it, it was like a benchmark moment in your like felt like it yeah i think the lockdown yeah. has definitely driven a lot of people to um places of introspection like not yeah. even um uh like voluntarily but a lot of people are in positions like i'm really lucky and i know that like i have an absolutely amazing life and to be in the situation that i am like i am one of the luckiest people in the whole country basically um or i'm in the top tier you know what i mean yeah and so like i guess partly that is what drove me there or something yeah yeah but um like i i just see how how many other people are having to like anxiously wait for government updates or mm. you know hope that their mortgage payments still get cancelled the following month and stuff like that i know it's sick it's it's like actually here hold on a second like this is good. yeah and like it, it it's sort of horrible that we couldn't have just hit a pause button wait for this pandemic to pass and then play it like we have to then after this horrible pandemic with thousands of deaths have to suffer an economic mm. uh pandemic of sorts that will affect people in ways that I think are yet, as of yet, unforetold. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it's insult to injury in the strongest possible sense. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, but um, I guess it remains to be seen. I I'm still being fairly optimistic. I like, I'm quite happy with how things have gone in Ireland. Um, and mm. I work in the funds industry, and none of the um none of the alarm bells are ringing in that industry yet like look at virgin they're gonna have three thousand layoffs i know but i mean like so typically i actually don't even want to get into this now because it's not the time or the place but um just so like generally in a recession there are key indicators you look for in the market that will decide mm -hmm. how things go in the future and one of them is that people start to invest heavily into gold in a recession mm. uh, or eft's in general and we're not there yet like so yeah, we'll yeah. see. Uh, I'm sure Virgin will get some government bailout anyway, but um, mm. I'd rather go back to talking about fun things that we like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, kind of a bit uh, dark and <laughs> well, depressing. the world falls apart around us. Yeah. Um, 
so I have a, I have a nice little one. Um, I know you haven't seen this thing. Wait, sorry, just to quickly interrupt for anyone listening as to why I maybe thought that Talking Heads Fear of Music was perfect oh, at the current sorry. time. Completely no, no, no. I just want just quickly. Uh, so an album that deals with life during wartime, drugs, animals, music d- defined in the song Electric Guitar. Um, yeah, it's just incredible. If you haven't listened to Talking Heads Fear of Music, then check it out. Each song is like a different journey and it's all as relevant today as it was, I think, in 1980 when it came out or 79. Unbelievable. That's fucking crazy, isn't it? That they yeah. came from the 70s. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's nuts. But what were you going to say? I was just going to say there's a movie on Netflix. It's a very low budget movie, but it's directed by uh, Jonah Hill. It's called okay. Mid-90s. Um, okay. The score is done by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Mm. Um, and it stars one of the greatest skateboarders in the world right now. Um, Who's that? I, you're such a prick for asking that question because I can't sorry. pronounce his name. It's Nakel something. Okay. Actually, okay, I'll tie this together with two things. This will actually be, be pretty good. So um, his name is Nakel, um, and he's just a skateboarder that's his profession he is a famous skateboarder a very very good one quite possibly the best in the world um but certainly top five um and in the movie it's about this little kid in the middle of the 90s funnily enough um the whole movie looks like the mid 90s it's about this little kid who comes from a single parent household where his older brother has a lot of pent-up angst that he is not dealing with well and the little kid has like a bit of angst but he also has that childlike curiosity and willingness to get out into the world and do yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. because he hasn't been hit hard by social anxiety yet but it will come my son um he just wants to he just wants to learn how to skateboard and he just wants some friends and he joins this gang of friends that are older than him and they all skateboard and they just initiate him into the, the it's not a gang it's a group of people um and he just goes on like a couple of adventures with them and there's like you know themes like stuff like mm-hmm. jealousy loss of innocence and all of that it's a coming of age movie. It's about 80 minutes long, but it's so fucking good. Nice. Like it spoke to me on that kind of level as well. Cause when I first moved to the road in River Valley, I'm slightly younger than all of you, mm. but you were all like, all right, well you're, you live on the road now. And like, I still, I was the youngest one by a long way, but I still got to play football and go to the skate park. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and it always just, I've always been in that position all my life. Like I'm always the youngest. I've been the youngest person in my last three offices and like all of that stuff so um i always relate to the underdog kid like rising yeah, above yeah. The, and coming of age and all that so yes. um, yeah, yeah that movie is a great little escape because it takes you not only out of this situation but it takes you back to the 90s and i think the 90s nostalgia is just particularly powerful because yeah i think so too it comes with it like the the advent of the internet and the, mm. just that whole like oh we're on the cusp of real world change here like mm. you know like, like there might be one starbucks outside mm. of america but in 20 years like you know what i mean just yeah all of that sort of yeah i think the 80s was a very dark and difficult decade and i think then the 90s just offered a hope and um, there was an optimism about it. There was a freshness. I think we talked about that before. There's like kind of a, did, yeah. there was a youthfulness about the nineties in a way, like you had kind of like bands coming out and like the music scene had evolved significantly. It seemed like from an economic point of view, there was prosperity again. Um, 
yeah, things just seemed fresh. It was, it was interesting, or at least they do when I look back on it, but maybe it's, it's bias. I don't know. Yeah, it probably is. Mm. Um, have you ever heard of a, a music genre called vaporwave? I think I've heard you describe it, but that's about it. Ah, fuck, have I? I was going to do that again. Um, it's, it's very, um, it's considered like all music critics or musical analysts consider vaporwave to be complete garbage and not mm. worth talking about. But it's, um, it's kind of an amalgamation of like nineties and eighties sounds. Mm. So they might take like the, uh, the baseline from a very famous eighties song and then stretch it out so that it's slow. And instead of being like, it's like, and it's, mm. it's meshed in with, um, uh overdubs from like walmart advertisements like as you're shopping it's like be sure to check out the offers we have in the wine and liquor section and stuff like that and vaporwave is basically um a musical genre created by people who have been raised by consumerism and okay. it's like it, it it's uh trying to portray the monotony of a consumerist society where there's nothing outside of it and so it's i don't know, like i find it so fucking fascinating and my friend miguel as well he's like um i think it's a kind of a vibe that you either get or you don't but there's yeah. just a certain feeling that comes with it that is very reminiscent of that 90s hopefulness um, yeah. and then it's like bleeded out by um the consumerism that yeah. inevitably I don't want to say destroyed it, but like bastardized the dream of the nineties. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, we thought that we were going to live on lake houses with helipads and instead we just got a Starbucks in every city, like that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I wonder, is there an, an analogy to be drawn between the fifties? Cause the fifties sort of started this whole thing kind of in America of like, I guess like the suburban way of life that we've already alluded to, like the white picket fence and the perfect car and perfect Nuclear everything. Family. Yeah, nuclear family, exactly. And then it was that sort of new beginning. And then like Fallout, say for instance, the, the games franchise Fallout, uh, it uses as its kernel of cultural illusion as like the 1950s mm -hmm. and sort of how perfect and well suited everything was and how everything just worked and everyone was employed and blah, blah, blah. And then I, I wonder, was the 90s sort of a modernized naturally version of the 1950s in a way that from the 40s which were terribly uh burdensome economically and from that kind of international strife and conflict and then the 80s had its own problems obviously not as severe but in in maybe a similar similar manner mm. yeah I, I i think i guess time will tell mm. um if you have um like, I think it's very fair to say that the baby boomers try and blame everything on the millennials. Sorry, mm. it's not very fair to say that. But generally, that is the, um, that's the type of perception that's expressed in media, right? Like, mm. the baby boomer writers who criticize millennials are saying mm. stuff like, they're the me generation or they're, you know, they're so self-obsessed or so easily offended. They're so mm. mad at their finances. They don't know anything about real hardship, stuff like that. Um, I wonder if a similar thing will happen in like 30 or 40 years or maybe even 20 years where you just have millennials who are talking about Gen Xers and how, but I, I don't see that happening though because millennials are so sympathetic to everyone who's come after them. Like they're so different. Um, you know what I mean? Like 
the Telegraph, for example, constantly runs stories about the me generation ruining broken Britain and all that stuff. I just don't feel like millennials say stuff like that. Millennials seem to be very in tune with what it is to have struggles outside of stuff like war and global events. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know if um, that's pretty much my marker for what it is to... I think the the fifties, all the dreams that were unfulfilled by the fifties are only borne out in bitterness by the people from that generation. Mm. Um, and so I just don't see people from the nineties having that same level of bitterness. So it's hard to say if it's like, yeah. if it would be considered a success or not, but like, I mm. do definitely think that all that, that hopefulness and those utopian dreams gave way to, you know, the same gray high rise buildings and glass airports and all of those things mm. that we just see in every single city. And, um, the cities that we were told were, uh, culturally unique and, and diverse and there's no place like it in the world, but they're actually all the same. Mm -hmm. Definitely think that has some, uh, some effect on people's psyche in a way that's not really, um, possible to express yet because we just don't have the, uh, the essayists or the philosophers to have yeah. drawn the the conclusion, but mm -hmm. I don't know. It's interesting to think about though. I absolutely love looking at old nineties stuff, like the movie hackers, which mm -hmm. I think like it's garbage, but it did such a good job of portraying what hacking is actually like. Yeah, <laughs> like it, yeah. it, it, it was relatively accurate. Um, but in all of its nonsensical CGI and everything, it, it told the world that they had envisioned was going to come after it. And you know what I yeah. mean? Like that kind of cyberpunk society and stuff like that. Like that hasn't really happened at all. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's, Although so, it's 2077, a bit of time to go. Yo, I have a, I have a, a metal poster right here that says welcome to 2077 and it's a guy nice. walking down a, a rain drenched neon lit street it's super cool i'll put it on my instagram uh, do you know what's interesting apparently in this new cyberpunk game you're going to be able to customize your character's genitals they've come out and said that i guess but like uh, will, but where will that even make an appearance yeah yeah well so um if you consider Metal Gear Solid 2, uh, Sons of Liberty, when you completed that game, you got this extra Metal Gear Solid thing where you could watch all of the the, sequ the cut sequences in it, mm. but you could change, you could have like, here's Vamp uh, attacking Raiden, where yeah, you yeah, replaced yeah. Raiden with Snake. Um, yeah, yeah. So there's one scene I can think of where the president of the United States thinks that Raiden is a woman and grabs him by the dick immediately and because of Raiden's uh, exoskeleton, you can see the outline of his dick. Mm. But if you do that with Solid Snake, for example, you don't see it. So there's one example of where genitalia appear in a video game and they're relevant. That was Colonel Volgan though, wasn't it? As opposed to the president. No, it was the yeah. president. He thought that Raiden was a, was a woman and- Oh yeah, 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 yeah. When he's going in to rescue him. Yeah, yeah, and he grabbed him and he goes, oh, you're a man? Yeah, yeah. that's right actually. Yeah, what was yeah. his name like, president? Alan Johnson. Johnson, yeah. Almost yeah, yeah. certain that isn't. No, because that's the guy from fucking Peep Show. Alan Johnson is Mark's manager. Uh, and, and yeah, you have to rescue him and you have to use the microphone to identify the, him because he has a pacemaker. Yeah. yeah, no, the pacemaker was Ames. Um, Flipping hell, I'm getting them all mixed up. But you had to use the dictaphone to, for some reason. Um, if you were able to, when you got into Big Shell 2, and got mm. up to strut H or whatever it was, you could go up, lean against the wall, knock on it, and the, the president would go like, huh? 
and the camera would do that thing where it zooms over the wall. Yeah, the wall. yeah. I don't, I don't know. You did use the dictaphone for something. Um, in in no, the dictaphone. Too. Why dictaphone? Dictaphone was the thing you had. The to microphone get. was Frames Pacemaker. I think, but it was called a dictaphone. I think. But the, it, uh, yeah, when you went up to that President Johnson's, that was when there was the electrocuted floor because it was to like recreate Shadow Moses, wasn't it? And you had to get across that. James Johnson was his name. Brilliant. Sorry, um, Shadow Moses. Because you remember the, ele- the electric, uh, electrified floors. When you're going up to President Johnson, I'm pretty sure you have to find a way to use the Nikita missile or something to... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it goes in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Round. yeah. Metal Gear Solid 2, though. What a bloody game. Best game ever. Best media product ever. Um, Kojima like, just preempted the next 20 years. Yeah. At a time when it was unforeseeable. Like, how the hell? And like he, when no one else had their finger on that pulse, Kojima was just there. Kojima is an actual like. Do you know, yeah, he is. We ascribe the word genius to people know, who absolutely do much. not deserve it, but yeah. Hideo Kojima is absolutely a genius. I'm one of the coolest guys ever, and with an amazing musical like preference, taste. It's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. The Saanem. What's that new game called that he has the FedEx package? Uh, Death, Death Stranding. Stranding yeah. Mm. The song Ludens by Bring Me the Horizon on that is so incredible. Good. And yeah. like, I know Bring Me the Horizon are absolutely a band that I am way too old and male to listen to, but that song is so fucking good. I absolutely love it. Way too old and male. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're of male, eh? FedEx. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, uh, Hideo Kojima is a genius. Absolutely yeah. bona fide genius. A- anyone who hasn't played Metal Gear Solid 2, like, you should check it out, honestly. Um, the listeners to this show are like, you know, they're like 10 years younger than us, basically, mm. uh, or even 15 in some cases. But I'm pretty sure on the PS, what's a PS now? I don't, is Metal Gear Solid 2 there? I don't think it yeah, is. Yeah, the HD collection is. It has oh, like. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have the fucking physical HD collection. Like, I have the actual disc and everything. Me too. Me too. Um, Yeah, Yeah, definitely. Metal Gear Solid 2 Substance was so good as well. Yeah. All those extra, the snake tails and all that stuff. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. VO missions. Yeah, playing as a snake in a tuxedo. Yeah, yeah. Or like the ninja and the, like, mystery missions. So cool. Having to figure out how this, like, soldier died. It was so bizarre. But, like, so ahead of its time. Like, that sort of genre that he like pioneered and then was used by so many like other things mm. at a time when the hardware was basically polygons, PlayStation one. Did you know that on the original metal gear design, um, before Kojima was like the actual head developer or anything, you probably do know this. Um, but they were making a game, right. Where you had to attack some guards and get to the thing and do the thing or whatever. And every time the guards were alerted, the game crashed. So Hideo Kojima was the guy tasked with figuring out how to stop the game from crashing when you get spotted by the guard. And Hideo Kojima was like, it's easy. You don't get spotted by the guard and that's your job. Like that's how he invented the entire stealth genre was like as a means of saving money for the company he was working for. You know, like like for anyone who like Splinter Cell came a long way after Metal Gear Solid. I don't know way after, but like two years or something like that after. Um, Stealth, games were invented by Hideo Kojima and yeah. he reckons that 
stranding games are the new thing that he's invented. That's what he said anyway. Yeah. Well, he was asked like, is it a horror game or is it an, an ARV or whatever? And he was like, uh, it's a stranding game. I'll tell you what, Death Stranding is horrifically terrifying in parts. Like just how isolated you are when things are coming after you and how vulnerable you feel. Like it's terrifying. Mm. Yeah, it's brilliant. Like, But yeah. I really, really, really hope he gets back to doing the Silent Hills. That game looked like it was going to be the greatest horror game of all time. Yeah, he said he could never play them because he was too scared. Interesting. Mm. It, it, but it was insanely terrifying. Like it was... Yeah, like you'd have to be a genius in order to be able to create something like that, that understood fear so well. Well, the Japanese know fear better than... They really do, don't they? Even just their, I don't know, just their metaphors, the way they tell stories, the Japanese are on another level with visual storytelling, I think. It's, yeah. Uh, something I've always noticed in the, you know, the odd imports that we get over in the West of stuff like mm. Battle Royale and um, Never Let Me Go and things like that, where mm. they're just as accessible that you're able to get into them. Um, but that's what I find so amazing about Hideo Kojima's work, because obviously he has to pander, for want of a better word, to his Japanese market. But then for the English market, he makes it like so incredible. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Oh, it's yeah. like, how does this even translate to Japanese and still make, like retain its depth? Yeah. Like with the, with the songs, like like some of the Metal Gear Solid songs, like Snake Eater or whatever, he tried to literally recreate a James Bond movie for Metal Gear Solid 3 in yeah. a game and have yeah. everything there and then um, it's like yeah Deftones last album Gore is based on the Metal Gear Solid series no way yeah it, there's a point in it where they even say the word snake eater in one of the songs nice yeah it's pretty cool and um, Bring Me The Horizon as well have they have a track called Shadow Moses and it opens up with the um, you know the Gra Cree, the song that opens the Irish spoken da, word song. Da, yeah, that one. Da, da, yeah, da, da. yeah, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. I found that on um, Spotify. I was looking for it for ages, and it didn't have it for ages. But they have the Faraghi or something. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. The best is yet to come. That's right. Yeah. So um, good. It's one of my favorite songs ever. Da, show, yeah, yeah, yeah. And just the way it builds up. Because I, I remember like finishing that game for the very first time. And then you're like traveling across the Alaskan, I want to say. Mm -hmm. Like ice on a snowmobile with either Otacon or Merrill. And then like they're talking about like jeans. Because the whole thing about Metal Gear Solid 1 centers around jeans. And it goes to like memes essentially. Mm -hmm. Or what can't be passed down in your DNA from Metal Gear Solid 2. And then, like, they're just talking about stuff, and then Naomi is chipping in because she has got her own axe to grind and whatever. And that song's just playing in the background, and you're just like, no, wait, like, where does this come from? I was playing Crash Bandicoot and Abe's Odyssey, and now, like, this game is literally transporting me to the most incredible place I've ever been as a 10-year-old. Yeah. yeah, or, yeah. Oh, even younger, actually, because maybe 10. I can't nah, 98 was Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, 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 10 then. Um... That game and Final Fantasy VIII for me. Uh, Final Fantasy VIII also just completely fucking blew my mind. And oh my God, yeah. It's like my, my favorite Final Fantasy game by a mile. Yeah, same. And yeah. I, I like Seven a lot, but I think Eight is better. Definitely. Um, and I really, really hope they remake Eight. I don't think they will, though, because they've remastered it. But, but, but they may, that remaster may have just been to see what the like popularity of Eight mm. still is and that sort of thing. But yeah, like... 
like cloud is good but squall is just a, a so good yeah squall's the best and squall and renoa have the best yeah like, relationship and... yeah and but i just love how relatable squall is like as a teenage guy like squall was just like you and you're just like and then like the laguna loire the everything and then like the relationship with the other like zell and irvine like it's just the best bloody game even his relationship with cypher yeah, it was perfect. So interesting. Like. So interesting. And like the respect that was there despite being arch enemies mm. and despite like trying to kill each other. And yeah. then Quiz is the teacher and being able to like, yeah, it was just brilliant. And then like the Japanese just do these things so well though. And then the music of it. Yeah. Like, yeah, the soundtrack too. It's brilliant. Yeah. I, I regularly fall asleep to the Balam Garden. Uh, mm. Do, 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 do. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's class, yeah. Actually, though, when the remaster came out, I played it, but I I did the thing that people say they hate it for, which is, like, just card mod all your cards into magic, and then you become basically a demigod by, like, disc one. I Like, I have to be honest, that whole, the card system of, like, opening your GFs and all that stuff, that, I don't remember that fondly or anything. I remember yeah, that being yeah. super hard, especially, I was fucking seven years old when I got yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so like looking back on it, that's not the, that's actually the worst part about video games for me is the shit that you do outside of the main story. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. I think it might be the reason why I don't, I only play Age of Empires 2 and I don't play anything else. Like I bought Red Dead Redemption and you have to do all the stuff. Like if the fucking filled up horse up with petrol and you have to do all, you know, all of those yeah, things. Exactly. I just, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so much like it's lads. Like I have a full time job that I do. And I'm yeah. playing this game to get away from that. Like, I'm Yeah, I know. Speaking of Final Fantasy VIII, though, me and my brother were talking about this really funny memory where we were after getting really far in Final Fantasy VIII. We couldn't save it. And it was really late at night, but we were going on holidays the next day. Mm. So it was like, it must have been pushing really late. I was only 13 at the time. My brother was seven. We couldn't save it wherever we were. So we paused it and kept it paused for two weeks until I, we came back from I, holidays. I did that. My my PlayStation for like all of the year 1999 just stayed on. <laughs> I didn't have, I had a memory card. Um, and I remember it was full of, I had like Crash Bandicoot uh, took up most of it. And then I had all the, my create uh, custom wrestler shit on WWF attitude that I just could never, ever, ever delete because I was most of the wrestlers and all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then there was the Metal Gear Solid stuff that I couldn't get rid of. Yeah. Um, I think I had like, I don't know, Spyro or fucking yeah. Odyssey, whatever. Um, but Final Fantasy, there was some reason why I couldn't save it, and I don't remember what it was. There was something that stopped me from saving this particular game. But I remember I had disc when I got to disc three. I had disc three in this in the system and the disc spinning around for fucking literally about eight months. And my fucking bitch sister one day unplugged it just to prove some point against me or something like that. Oh. And she doesn't even know she did that to this day. <laughs> And she has no idea that I have not forgiven her. For um, but yeah, I had to fucking start the whole fucking game all over again. And I remember being able to do disc one very easily. I could do the whole thing in about two and a half hours. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember it was like on a Saturday, I would get up very early. And, and by 12 noon, I would have Final Fantasy disc one completed. Yeah. Um, disc two was always a little bit of a struggle because I think it starts out where you're running down the spiral staircase away from the enemy and you have to like do so i think you're playing as irvine at that point or something as well um, in that prison in the prison yeah you're running, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're running out of that 
um but yeah it, it, i remember just that being really hard and like and i was on this tree i never even completed that game would you believe it's a it's a tough game i didn't finish it the first time i tried and then years later it's like no no i'm finishing this and then i went back and played it and did really well you should just say to the listeners this game was four discs as in yeah. when you buy it it comes with four discs and you complete it disc by disc. I don't think you will be aware that that's how we did things back in the day. Yeah, it was ridiculous. I don't think you even know what a disc is. Actually. And not only that, though, but a disc, it probably only contained like 100 megabytes. You mm. know what I mean? Like it, the equivalent, just to put that into context, that would be about 30 MP3 songs. I think, uh, I think the PlayStation 1 memory card was 2 megabytes or 8 megabytes. No, the save files, but the mm. disc that had all the game. Yeah, 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 it was 8 megabytes for an old PS1, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Like the gray memory card. Yeah, I had an orange see-through one. It was very nice. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you could see the green memory chips. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You always thought that it was something from the future. And now if you see the inside of the thing, it's shit. Like, yeah, exactly. But it, it, it. It's just incredible. I was watching a video there on YouTube recently, and there's this guy who worked for some computer company, and it was like from like the 60s or 70s. And he was saying like, oh, yeah, the computers are big <gasps> now, but wait for 30 I years. I watched and... that same clip. It's yeah. from the news thing, and it's in, I don't know, is it in black and white? But he's like, we're going to have computers like this in our homes. It's not black and white, but it's like sepia. It's like kind of yeah. really faded colors. And he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you're you going to have something like this on your desk. Did you watch any of the other clips from that channel? There was one that was like where a guy went around to people in the street and he was like, do you think that there's life beyond yes. our world? And they were like, I don't very much care. <laughs> it's like, he was <laughs> fucking cunts. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. But that was fascinating though. Like just, he had such good foresight. Yeah, Actually, I know. Do you remember the best question? The best, uh, the best question was, someone was saying, in the future, we're going to be so dependent on these and then he asked him, well, do you think it's a good idea that we will? And he's like, probably not. Or something, I think. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I remember, remember something. Like he was saying, like, you'll do everything from this. You'll order yeah, your shopping yeah, yeah. from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's so funny, actually, looking back. So people who are 10 years younger than us won't remember. But just how involved and interesting computers we were, despite how little they fucking did. Like, no. we'd spend hours on a computer that couldn't even get on the internet. Dude, I was playing like Minesweeper and yeah, fucking... Yeah, 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 I remember playing... Uh, no, not playing anything, right? I used to play this game called Dune. Obviously, you know Dune, the story written by yeah. the man who wrote Dune, whose name I definitely know. Um, <laughs> I know David Lynch directed the movie, right? So fuck off coming at me with the not knowing the name of the guy who David wrote Lynch, it. David Lynch, Transcendental Meditation, Eat Your Heart Out. Go on, anyway. Yeah, so... um. There used to be a games device called the Amiga or the Commodore. Uh, it was a type of computer where inside the keyboard, you would insert the floppy disk mm. um, and connect it to a monitor and it would load up the old like two kilobyte games or whatever it was. You'd play like Cannon Fodder, Flimbo's Quest, Space Invaders, fucking Dune, whatever on it. Um, and it was a mouse and keyboard type job. And anyways, I used to play Dune at my childminder's house. Mm. And then I would go home to a place where I didn't have the Commodore, but I did have a PC, a gigantic PC. The monitor was about this fucking big. I used to go on Microsoft Paint mm. and I used to paint scenarios from Dune, the mm. game. To nice. I was like, oh, here's my harvester base, and this is where the giant worm comes out of the ground. And it's the, here's the Harkonnen enemy. Like, yeah, I used to yeah. do all like that's fucking crazy. And then yeah. eventually I remember we got Age of Empires 
and then I just played that all my life until we got Age of Empires too, and yeah. I'm still playing that. But um, yeah, those yeah. were the. But yeah, the time you'd spend doing stuff that had nothing even, even a Microsoft Word would be like, oh, I'm going to write something. And then like you'd spend like hours on changing the font and changing like the yeah. style. It's just like, my God, like people just wouldn't understand that now. But it was such a novelty. You know, you do that. Every week I used to buy WWF magazine. It cost two ninety five at the time. And it was just basically a rundown of everything that happened in, in wrestling that week. Mm. And there used to be this this section of it where they would write quirky um, analysis of stuff that was happening. And I remember one of them was like that there was this wrestler called Val Venus and his whole thing was, he was a big male prostitute, whatever that's called. Gigolo. Mm-hmm. Is that what it is? Yeah. Gigolo. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all the ladies wanted him and all of that. And then he had like a gimmick change at some stage where he, he had really long hair, but then he cut his hair really, really short cut. And he, he just bulked up. He was fucking huge. And he yeah. went from being like the guy who just shaked his hips in a real provocative way to being the guy who just beats the shit out of people and fights them. And the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the article was called Hair Today, Gone Tomorrow. And it was, a, it was like a breakdown of how certain wrestlers shaved their head and got more aggressive. And it was like, it's fucking nonsense. Obviously, it's all fake. But like someone actually wrote this and someone actually put like an an actual realistic yeah. level of integrity into writing yeah, this piece yeah, as yeah. though it were real. And I remember just being like, shit, man, like that's such an interesting insight to have into this thing. At the time I probably thought wrestling was real. And yeah, I remember yeah. just being like, wow, like he's noticed this one thing that like no one else has noticed. Yeah, and yeah. so I typed the article up word for word into my computer. Hilarious. It was like two fucking pages long. And at the time I didn't really type that fast. But yeah, um yeah. Yeah, I, I think like, and I honestly think that article was the start of me thinking like, you can think differently about things. Yeah, yeah. Like this is a very non-linear observation to make for a purpose that I don't fully understand. Like if someone were to come to me and ask, why do you do that? I don't know why yeah, yeah, you yeah. analyze it in that way. Um, and I, I think like now the same thing about Twitch streamers and stuff where it's like, why do you watch this people play this game like oh, i know it's fun <laughs> what do you want it is yeah there's something so interesting about like or if someone's playing a new game like i've definitely done this and you're like i am not going to play it myself but i'll watch someone play it from start to finish and like experience it with them yeah like it's it's a, it's a really worthwhile like activity like yeah. you know what i mean like yeah, there's something to just bonding about it or something i remember um my friend nap who is a huge youtuber who you actually met one time i don't know if you ever remember um we were at the Coda Line, played a gig at the Sugar Club. Um, and I was there with Nep. He's from London, kind of tall guy. Uh, I, I remember the gig for sure. Um, it was a very quick introduction anyway. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I think we went off to some pub or something. But um, mm. why did I start talking about this? Oh, so I was living with Nep in London, right? And he was watching this... League of Legends uh, fucking World Cup, like some major tournament on Twitch. Mm. And there was a point in it where someone did an amazing play and Nep just started, he was watching it with headphones and we had like, we each had a desk in the room mm. and like sometimes we talked to each other all day. Sometimes we just worked separately. It was like mm. a really good setup. Um, but he was just watching this thing and he just started clapping. He was like, oh my God. And I was just, in, I was like, I've always had the perspective. I've always like, I was like, uh, it's it, like he's enjoying that that's no harm i don't hate him for that but mm. i was a little bit in my head i was like 
so fucking weird. Like he's clapping <laughs> at a fucking and like I was watching the Hidden Cup on Age of Empires two and fucking losing my mind at some shit. Like some dude makes a fishing ship instead of a an archery range and I'm like, yeah. Oh my god, this play is amazing and like I'm sitting here in my chair like shouting to myself and it's, it's just brilliant. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just what a fucking nerd to be doing this stuff. I like, know, it's brilliant. But like Nep was so far ahead of the curve. Like <laughs> eight years ago this man was watching this stuff and enjoying it. And I've only recently like told myself that it's acceptable to do so. Yeah. Well he could see over the horizon. That's why he was ahead of the curve. Oh, very nice. Yes. Um interesting. Yeah, so um yeah, I don't know how what any of this has to do with what we said we were going to talk about. <laughs> I know. Um, what do you want to do? Do you want to keep talking or do you have to go to bed? I should probably head to bed soon because I still have actually sh- like rubbish to put out for the collection tomorrow and stuff, which is crap. They collect your bins on a Monday? Because I'm on a street that's a commercial street, my uh, rubbish gets collected when the commercial shops next to me get collected. Wow. Yeah. I know. That's awful. I know. Um, or well, uh, I'll leave it up to you, I guess. Like, do you want to talk about one more thing, or do you? Want is, to there, just... is there anything else that you are hoping to talk about? Um. Oh, I, I, yeah. No, I, I've only gotten to approximately one of the things that I had written. <laughs> uh, what was that? Uh, so much for the city by the trills. <laughs> <laughs> And you know what? If you could see my screen right now, it's the only thing where I have written nothing else. <laughs> I've written like, there's a few albums I've written basically a paragraph. Um, oh man. So I don't really know what to do about that. Uh, we could save it. We could always do a part two to this. We could do a part two to this. I think we may very well. I think that's not to. a bad idea considering that the lockdown is continuing. Oh, so you have insider information about the lockdown, <laughs> have you? <laughs> yes. Um, all right, I'll really, really, really quickly. How long have we been going? I have no fucking idea, man. Zoom does not let you know. I, th- I think we started like talking properly a quarter to eight. Well, that's decent enough. <laughs> that You've is decent. Got to factor in the toilet breaks and the, the beer runs. Yeah, and true. The... And, and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the more you stay minutes, it, then. the more fucking annoyed I get that I'm going to have to do something about it. <laughs> I was happy to just leave that there. Uh, like we're, we're gonna have to lose at least 10 minutes of content because of that yeah that's true yeah and the whole <laughs> intro know. shit i don't know if i can use any of that i like to put the intro at the outro sometimes on this and make podcast. sure dexter's laboratory now it doesn't get uh doesn't see the light of day <laughs> like you text me after like pull all the dexter content and i'm like wait what and you're just like pull it yeah I am a doctor. Like, <laughs> I can't have anyone knowing that I watched that TV show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that I remembered a line. Yeah. Um, My patients will all leave me. So one thing I'll, I'll say really quickly is if you have Audible, uh, listen to Them, Adventures with Extremists by John Ronson. Um, and if you have Amazon, buy the book. It's like two pounds or whatever. It's an amazing book about um it's it's like the late 90s john ronson is an investigative journalist think louis theroux he's ultimately the same person just more welsh than him and um he goes off to the states and does four 
different adventures, I think. One of them is actually in Africa where he goes with Ian Paisley and their weird brand of, uh, of, of religious fundamentalism where they try and bring Christianity to Africa. Um, in another one, he meets Alex Jones and he actually makes Alex Jones. Uh, this, is the, this book tells the story of how John Ronson made Alex Jones famous. Um, then the other one is he goes off to a bunch of neo-Nazis and he recounts the tales of Ruby Ridge. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but it's like uh, these, um, um, I guess you would call them the left-leaning libertarian. Ah, we wouldn't say left-leaning. The, the libertarians that are not the... It's a bunch of libertarians went off to live in this cabin on Ruby Ridge, and eventually they get sieged by the FBI, and the FBI like kill a couple of them, and it becomes a huge national scandal because the FBI were so heavy-handed with what they did for such minor offenses that the people had committed. It was like mm. a couple of gun charges or whatever, and uh, John Ronson stays with them. Um, so it's them, the, the neo-Nazis. He also hangs around with David Icke a lot in it. And he tells stories about David Icke, which is super interesting. Mm. Um, he also talks about the Anti-Defamation League. Um, and he draws very interesting parallels between the ADL's hypersensitivity to the supposed um, anti-Semitism by people like David Icke and then the actual rampant anti-Semitism by people in the, the neo-Nazi groups of the KKK or whatever mm. and um, just as a book it's such a nice adventure it's very um, it's very what's the word it's very broad uh, it goes off into lots of different segments but it finds common ground between all the, di the different parties and I think at times like now when everything is politicized even the lockdown is politicized you can always say like if someone thinks that global warming is not real you almost know for a fact that they're a conservative if someone thinks we should end the lockdown right now you know that they're a conservative like things like this where it feels like we're all so different from each other and we're so disconnected and stuff i think if you read or listen to the book them you will find the common ground and you'll be able to reconcile those differences a little bit better than mm. saying right or left um i like the way i went right and left because this is my right hand and this is my left hand and i did the opposite of that but um, well, on camera, to me, it looked like he did it the right way. That's why I did it. Thanks, mm. John. Mm. But um, yeah, I just think that that book is a great way to um, maybe lift your head above the parapet of of um, of meager tribalism and sort of make you... Identity your... politics, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it'll give you a, a more nuanced um, bit of context for the differences that people seem to have that are brought out by this large network of different ideas where we all have to pick a tribe and fucking fight to the death for the tribe. So, um, I just, it's a great book. It's t over 20 years old and it is just as relevant as it ever was. And I think it can be a voice of reason in an age where maybe projecting such a voice now would not really be appreciated all that much because people take it too personally now. Um, so it might just help you dial back your, anger a little bit and give you perspective so. all right excellent yeah i talked about one of my albums no two i didn't talk about i talked about disney didn't talk about two of the movies didn't talk about the book and didn't talk about the game interesting so i am taking john ronson off my list mid 90s off my list 
and so much for the city off my list. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven other things to talk about. Excellent. That'll be at least another episode. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess we'll just have to do that then. We can take this off. The ship is-